Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 9th, 2023, including... Rockstar confirms that a GTA 6 reveal is coming very soon. Some big leadership promotions take place at Xbox and could signal serious changes. I played Modern Warfare 3's campaign and have thoughts. All that and more. This day in Xbox history, in the year 2004, 19 years ago, Halo 2 was released on the Xbox. It's almost the 20th anniversary of Halo 2, which I guess makes sense because we just had the 20th anniversary of Halo in 2021. Well, man, I don't know what to say about this one. I mean, it's Halo 2. It's like the the game that, you know, I know Halo Combat Evolved is like the one that made xbox a thing it's like halo's mario whatever everyone makes the comment xbox wouldn't be around without halo but i feel like if halo one solidified or 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 legitimized the existence and justified the existence of the original xbox halo 2 is the game that set xbox as a brand kind of solidly locked into place as like a force you know like in the gaming space not just someone who could stick around and maybe play for a while but someone who's also here to innovate and change things up what's a what's that funny that oh it's a halo 2 was a disruptor in its uh in its in its time of 2004 because of course halo 2 is basically the game that justified the existence of xbox live and xbox live is arguably microsoft's greatest contribution to gaming in in the history of all everything they've ever done with gaming so yeah i mean halo 2 is it's the game dude it's, it's the freaking game and they put on the headset and then people talked shit about people's mothers and used the r word and all the words that we're not supposed to use in the real world but for some reason when you're online it's okay to sometimes say maybe xbox says they don't like it but people do it anyway there's youtube videos with lots of views that suggest people enjoy hearing those things sometimes maybe i'm not condoning it i'm just saying maybe it happens maybe but yeah halo 2 man I don't know. Halo 2, I have a weird relationship with Halo 2 because I love every Halo. I've never played a Halo game I didn't like, or maybe, maybe I should clarify. None of the actual main Halo games, uh, yeah, right? What, what's a bad Halo game, I guess? They're all good. I mean, the little, like, Windows Phone twin-stick shooters, those are kind of mediocre. But aside from that, I mean, like, every Halo is a good Halo game. And I love Halo 2, but I don't know. I feel like there's always been a little bit of a disconnect with me in Halo 2 because... I know Halo 2 is, like, the most beloved Halo. There are some Combat Evolved people out there. There are some Halo 3 people out there. I'm definitely a Halo 3 person. But I feel like the majority, like, if you had to pull every Halo fan, you'd maybe get 60 to 70%. Maybe close to, like, 60% would say Halo 2 is the best Halo. And I just feel so, so at odds with this because Halo 2 is actually, it's not my least favorite Halo, but it's it's actually might be my least favorite Halo. I mean, I love it. Let, let me let me make this clear. Ranking Halos is like rank to me. It's like ranking. It's like I don't know. It's like ranking the, the, the ranking the six mainline Halo games is like ranking the six most beautiful women in the world. It's like what do you what do you want me to do? Like you 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 want to interpret this as like number six is like the ugliest girl you've ever seen? It doesn't matter. They're all they're all beautiful. 
we're just we're splitting hairs trying to figure out which one is just slightly more beautiful than the other. So I love Halo 2, but I don't know. There's just I feel like there's something about this game I missed. I mean, obviously I was young at the time. I was a little busy playing like Mario Sunshine on the GameCube, you know, to be like, oh, Halo, I'm all into freaking college dorm rooms and land parties. And so in some way, it's like I kind of missed it, although I, I didn't because I, I played Halo 2 when it came out and I was there. It's just for whatever reason, like Halo 2 is the one that kind of, I don't know. I think it's because Halo, Halo 1 was such a local multiplayer-focused experience that I was able to really appreciate all there was to love about Halo Combat Evolved. And then by the time, by the time Halo 3 came out, you know, it was like sleepovers with friends and Xbox Live and, you know, all that stuff, like, for my generation. So it kind of made perfect sense. But Halo 2 was like, I don't know, it was like just a little too young to have my own Xbox in my room and be able to have my own Xbox Live subscription. So maybe that's kind of how I missed it is I didn't interact with Halo 2 the way it was meant to be interacted with to the fullest at the time it came out. I don't know. I, I don't I don't have the answer to it. I just I love Halo 2. I think the game has a really good campaign, but not the best campaign. I think it has stellar multiplayer, but not the best multiplayer. And I am nostalgic for it, but I'm more nostalgic for Halo 3. So it's like it's just always this like why are people so hot like hung up on Halo 2? Halo 3 is so much better kind of attitude. But nonetheless, Halo 2, you are you are a beautiful game. You're a wonderful game. And also a great example of a game that pulled it together and ended up being so special despite the uh despite the turbulent game development history it had. And then also, shout out to Halo 2. It's arbitrarily the one Halo game where people are cool that you get to play as a character other than Chief in this game for half the game, uh, whereas in Halo 5, people just get really fucking pissy when you don't play as Chief for 100% of the game because that's being a Halo fan is, is just is all about making zero sense all the time. Uh, but yeah, Halo 2 is awesome. I, just, I mean, where's my... I don't know. What, what is my Halo ranking today? I haven't thought about my Halo ranking since Infinite came out, but I think it's... Man, on the spot, like gun to my head, Halo 3, Halo 5, huh, I'd say 3, 5, 4, no, 3, uh, three 5, 4, Breach? Damn, that's hard. I don't know, I'm putting Combat Evolved on the bottom. I think I think people people are, uh, they hold, hold on too much to the, the, the significance of it being the first Halo. Combat Evolved, bottom. Halo 2, probably above that. Infinite above that. Yeah, there we go. Infinite above that. Then ODST, then Reach. I can work backwards. There we go. Then reach. Then after reach, we put what? Where was I at? Four above reach, and then above four is five, and then three. Right? I got everything in there. That's gonna aggravate people. I know that's gonna piss someone off. Someone's gonna hear that. Eh, this man has an opinion on Halo. I don't exactly agree with. I'm clicking off this show. I'm going back to Podcast Unlocked, an IGN PlayStation podcast. Oh wait. It's a Xbox part. Fuck it. Whatever. You know what I mean? Guys, welcome to Xbox On. Um, for all four of you left who aren't insanely irritated that I just sat here and ranked Halo games in the wrong order by your standards, welcome. This is an Xbox On podcast. It is the only... Actually, it's the second Xbox On podcast because Xbox has an official YouTube channel called Xbox On in the UK, but we try not to think about that. Listen, I might not be official Xbox. They might have the title of being officially Xbox. They're affiliated with Microsoft. They're officially Microsoft employees doing that show, but my show's based out of the U.S., and we are a bigger country. We got bigger trucks, bigger portion sizes, bigger debt. You want me to keep counting? All right, guys, let's talk about the Noble Games releasing this week. There are, you know, in typical 2023 fashion, we've got quite a few games of note, so I just want to shout out four games here that are coming out this week. First one, 
Like a Dragon, Gaiden, the man who erased his name, now out for Xbox Series consoles, Xbox One and PC. It is a day one Game Pass game, so if you're a fan of the Yakuza series, now called the Like a Dragon series, uh, the Gaiden, the man who erased his name, apparently this was originally going to be a DLC, this is a story that was making the rounds this week, it was going to originally be DLC and then they fleshed it out into a full-blown kind of spin-off game. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting that means it is a smaller uh, like a dragon game, which is, in my opinion, so welcome because there's just so many of these games I can't keep up. But I would, I would love to say I'm playing this game this week or or sometime soon. But no, I, I need to at least get through the initial six Yakuza games. I'm on four. I played zero, one, two, and three. I need to get through four, five, and six, and then I can start getting a little fucky with the order. I don't, I don't mind about you know. I think I'll skip. Uh, what is it? What's the what's the fucking the spinoff series we play as the detective guy? What I forget what they're called. Uh, it's, just, it's escaping my mind right now. It's making me go crazy. But I'm thinking about skipping those games for now and then doing that one that came out earlier in the year, Ishin. I really want to do that one. And then maybe try Like a Dragon. I don't know. I don't know where to go. But these games are so good. I have no doubt that this game is also probably very good. And it's a ga- it's a day one Game Pass game. So why don't you go ahead and play it if you played the other 47 entries in the series. I'm sure it is worth your time. That being said, we have another huge game coming out. And probably the biggest game left in the year that is releasing just in terms of the kind of sales it will draw the kind of attention and player base it will cultivate and no doubt uh the, the backlash it is it is already garnered which we will get into extensively later on in the podcast which is call of duty modern warfare 3 yeah this this game's gonna pop up a couple times this episode because we got a lot of things to say and not very many positive ones at that but call of duty modern warfare 3 is out as of the day this podcast no the day after this podcast goes live it comes out friday november 10th but i'm gonna do the thing i did last year and switch my xbox on thursday to the new zealand server so i can play the game a day early because i'm uh i'm a child i just can't wait to get my hands on remade maps of a of a 14 year old call of duty game how old is modern warfare 2 is that four? Yeah, 14 years? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 out on Xbox, PC, all the other platforms. It is the first Call of Duty released in a world where Activision is owned by Xbox, but also doesn't really count because Activision was officially owned by Xbox, like, as of, like, two weeks ago. So, like, this isn't, you know, next year. Next year's exciting because next year's the first Call of Duty. No PlayStation marketing. No PlayStation exclusive uh, uh, beta. No PlayStation exclusive bundle. You see that thing PlayStation's doing where they got the, the Call of Duty bundle. You get Modern Warfare 3 for free with your bundle. That's a very, very smart move on PlayStation's part. Very, uh, very savvy. Oh, Microsoft bought Call of Duty. Well, how about this? Microsoft will just give your fucking game away for free. How do you like that? We'll throw it in a bundle, give it away to all of our players. Suck it. I love that. It's very, very savvy business move. Uh, okay, so Modern Warfare 3 is coming out this week. We'll talk about that later. Next up, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl 2 is out now. It came out on the 7th. It's on Xbox One, PC, Series S and X. Apparently pretty good. Apparently a big step up from the first game. Seems like the reviews are um, pretty positive on this. So if you're looking for a Smash Brothers-like game um, that is is a lot more refined than its first go-round with that with that All-Stars Brawl 1 that came out a few years ago that people liked but didn't love. It seems like this is a pretty big refinement on that game. So there you go. I, I hate so many of the Nickelodeon characters so much that I could never I could never give this game a try, even though I, I, I'm sure it is fun. But also, man, why, I, why would I play a Smash Brothers light game when I could play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3? That sounds very negative. Well, let's say it like this. Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, I'm sure it's 
much better than both of those games. So go ahead and play Like a Dragon or go play freaking Hexen or whatever the hell it is you're still you're still playing. I, listen, I'm not your daddy. If you're still playing Tetris, that's that's on you. Enjoy yourself. Do what you got to do. Last game I want to note uh, is is this this smaller kind of indie style release, The Invincible, which comes out on Series S and X and PC this week. This is already out. It came out on I think Monday, uh, but this game looks really cool. Apparently, it's uh, it's it's by a company I never heard of, heard of called St- uh, Starward Industries, um, and it's based on a book that I know nothing about. But it looks like this walking sim adventure type short sci fi. Uh, first-person exploration game, and it looks really freaking cool. I know practically nothing about it, but I saw a trailer for it. I saw the game. It looks cool. I'm interested in it. Um, man, if this were just a time where, again, there weren't like 8,000 games, I would probably give this game a go. But, you know, something to keep an eye out. Maybe when there's a lull in my gaming schedule or it goes to Game Pass or something, I, I want to give this game a try. It does look very cool. Always up for some more space sci-fi shit, so... Yeah, I definitely want to see, uh, definitely want to see more of this game. Apparently, some of the developers are ex CD Projekt and ex Techland guys. So that's you know that's um, that's of course Cyberpunk people and Witcher people and um, Dying Light people. So some good talent behind this game. And yeah, I'd really love to see more of that. So that is the Invincible. With that said, guys, let's let's move on because we got a decent amount to get to today. Let's uh. Move into the mildly amusing stories, updates from last week, and things I think... Let's just get right into this. I think everyone's going to want to hear this one, because you already know it, but let's just talk about it, because it's exciting. It's been over a full decade. People are hyped. Grand Theft Auto 6, okay? The reason this isn't a main news story is because there's just not that much to say, but it is prominent, so I wanted to be kind of early in the show, so... Here we go. VGC relays that the first Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer will premiere next month, Rockstar Games has confirmed. Quote, next month marks the 25th anniversary of Rockstar Games, co-founder Sam Hauser said in a statement. Thanks to the incredible support of our players worldwide, we have had the great opportunity to create games that we are truly passionate about. Without you, none of this would be possible, and we're grateful to all of you, blah, blah, blah. In 1998, Rockstar Games was founded by the idea of a video that video games could come uh, to be an essential part of culture, as they are to any other as any other form of entertainment. And we hope that we have created games that you love in our efforts to be part of that evolution. Uh, I think it's safe to say you have. Uh, We are very excited to let you know that in early December, we will release the first trailer for the next Grand Theft Auto game. We look forward to many more years of sharing these experiences with all of you. Rockstar's parent company, Take-Two Interactive, is set to report its quarterly earnings later today, which we're not really touching on here yet, but we might talk about a little bit next week. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Rockstar, you know, might, might as well throw this in there just for reference as we begin the discussion. Rockstar was forced to acknowledge the existence of GTA 6 earlier last year when extremely early footage of the game was leaked confirming the location and the character and all that that has been rumored to be uh you know the, the female protagonist the vice city style setting and all that so anyway let's just jump into this it's exciting to finally hear i mean you video game donkey just did a really funny video on it and the internet's been kind of like on fire with uh with this whole like stop it with the whole we think gta will be announced soon kind of thing because that that rhetoric has just been circulating the internet for so many years now every couple months it comes back from someone and it's like guys shut up we'll we'll get grand theft auto 6 when we get grand theft auto 6 well this makes it official because it's rockstar games saying hey we are officially revealing gta 6 next month now everyone's assumption and my assumption too is that early december announcement 
that's the game awards. The game awards is December seventh, so it probably makes sense to uh, uh, to say that Grand Theft Auto uh, Grand Theft Auto Six will be probably revealed and shown for the very first time at the game awards. And the thing about I mean, the thing about Grand Theft Auto is historically when a new Grand Theft Auto game is shown, it's like, hey, here's a trailer, and then like six months later, here's your game. Like, they don't really do a lot of marketing hype. They usually show some kind of reveal trailer. They did the same thing with the Red Dead Redemption games. It's usually like, here's your reveal trailer. Six months later, here's some screenshots. Here's a release date. Enjoy the game. You know, it's usually pretty quiet. They only tell you what you need to know. I mean, like... What do they need to show us to sell us as Grand Theft Auto 6? Here's Grand Theft Auto 6. Everyone's going to go nuts for it. So, I mean, that's really all they need to do. And we've kind of known that this game was going to be coming more, you know, sooner than not. Because, remember, um, not on this quarterly earnings that, that's taking place today, but the last quarterly earnings that Take-Two had, they were mentioning that they're assuming their next fiscal year will have a massive uptick in in revenue uh, due to a really big game releasing, which, you know, you look at the portfolio and the teams and everything at Take-Two Interactive, it's pretty clear that all signs were pointing to, hey, we're expecting Grand Theft Auto 6 to launch next year. So we've kind of known that this this announcement was imminent, but now we got a more specific time. We got official word directly from the horse's mouth, and I think it's got people really hyped because Grand Theft Auto 5, the last Grand Theft Auto game, came out in September of 2013. I remember exactly where I was a senior in high school waiting tables at the taco Mac fucking all that shit back in 2013. I remember being in Charlotte, North Carolina on a weekend trip with my buddy to go catch a yellow card concert. And we stopped by a target in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like, Grand Theft Auto five came out yesterday. Fuck it. I'm just going to impulse buy this thing. And when we get home tomorrow night, I'm going to play Grand Theft Auto five. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, in, in the ten, in the ten plus years since then, my my hair is thinned. I graduated college. I got a cat. Like shit's changed. Okay, it's been a long time since we've had a Grand Theft Auto game. A lot of Mountain Dew flavors have come and gone. I think it's time that we uh, we finally get a follow up. This is a uh, you know, obviously, games are more costly and intricate and take way longer to build than they used to um, these days. And then on top of that, the fact that Grand Theft Auto Online has no doubt played a huge role in the the extended lifespan of GTA 5 where it's just the game is so popular it makes so much fucking money there's so much support that they put into it and you know it's like why would you rush out the next Grand Theft Auto game when your current game is just raking in the money hand over fist so I think a lot of things have led to this extended development period but it, it, as a result of all of that the hype the fervor the excitement for our Grand Theft Auto 6 is just so high. It's so up there, man. I mean, like, you you know people are hyped for Grand Theft Auto 6 when all the freaking Call of Duty and Halo YouTubers I follow are, are freaking posting videos today about, guys, it's coming, GTA 6, mark your calendars. It's like, what the fuck are you... Why are you guys talking about Grand Theft Auto? You're, you're, you're exclusively a Call of Duty YouTuber. What are you doing, bro? So you, you know, you know the excitement is in the air. This is one of those games. It's going to get everyone involved. Everyone who, from the most hardcore players to the kinds of gamers that generally only play this game or that game, but they'll make an exception for Grand Theft Auto, all the way to the casuals, the people who generally don't play games but will go out and buy a Xbox or a PlayStation so they can experience the latest Grand Theft Auto. I mean, this is going to be that game it's going to stop stop the world and make everyone jump on board and see choo choo what's happening over here on the video game side of the world and it's, it's grand theft auto 6 where you can kill a hooker steal a car and somehow 
uh, this society that is built within the parameters of this video game is still preferable to the one we have in the actual real world uh, because that's just unfortunately how it works. But yeah, I mean, this is why it's up here at the top of the show. There's really not much more to say other than mark your fucking calendars. I would, I'd bet you money that December 7th at the Game Awards, we're going to get a proper reel, which is a little interesting because generally Rockstar is pretty much like, no, fuck you, we'll announce our game when we want to announce our game. They wouldn't generally historically wait for like an event um, like this, but uh, I mean, I'd be surprised if they're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to show off Grand Theft Auto 6. We're going to reveal it on December 5th. Uh, and then two days later will be the game awards. Like, come on. They said early December. What's the only relevant gaming thing that happens in early December or in December at all for that matter. And it's the Jeff Keighley game awards. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty obvious what we're, what we're looking at here. So yeah, I mean, Hey, get, get excited. I know if you're, if you're a Grand Theft Auto fans, it's been a long ass time and, I mean, Grand Theft Auto, it's one, of those, it's one of those games everyone plays, right? Like, I'm not, I'll take Red Dead Redemption over Grand Theft Auto any day, but with that said, I'm still going to fucking buy GTA 6 day one, you know? I'm not hyped about GTA 6, like, I played GTA 5, it's good game, played through the story, dicked around a little bit in the open world, whatever, moved on with life. I put maybe a total of 35, 40 hours into Grand Theft Auto 6 in the 10, 5 in the 10 years that's been around, but even though I'm just so, like, yeah, Grand Theft Auto Five was fine. Like even I will be there, day one. Grand Theft Auto Six. Let's let's see. It's just it's just such a it's just such an event. It's just such a uh, monumental milestone in in gaming history. Whenever whenever a new GTA comes out, so we all got to stop. And also, I'm really curious to see what this what this game is like because I think this has the most potential to be a massive departure from what we're familiar with with Grand Theft Auto. With the you know considering that considering that Sam Hauser's brother Dan left the studio along with Lazlo and basically the whole writing team, the core writing team of the Grand Theft Auto games is no longer at Rockstar. And then in addition to that, you know, the way they've approached this game has to take in mind the success of G the success of GTA online. And also just the way that the games, the gaming space has changed over the past 10 years. So I feel like there's a lot of potential for this game to be quite a departure from you know from the norm as far as what the formula is what all this this game looks like and entails and so i'm pretty interested to see what they've decided to do the liberties they'll be taking and uh yeah the ways in which gta 6 will be unlike anything we've seen before so mark your calendars for that next up let's uh talk briefly about the, okay this is the second time we'll mention call of duty modern warfare 3 this week Two out of three. We'll mention three times this week. This is number two. Let's just get it knocked out real quick. So, yeah, last week, I guess, uh, the day the podcast went live on Thursday, the Modern Warfare 3 campaign went live for people who pre-ordered the game. And uh, if you uh, turned on your Xbox on that day, or I think it's just any time you turn on your Xbox after that day, you were prompted with a, a notification, a little, a little ad on your screen that was like, hey, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is now available if you pre-order the game through the, for the campaign mode. Uh, experiencing a ground, experience a groundbreaking full HD immersive uh, video game unlike uh, unlike any Call of Duty you've experienced before. Uh, please click on the store to purchase the game, or go to your library if you have it already purchased and go enjoy. And a lot of people were really off put by this little pop up ad that graced their screen when they first turned on their consoles, and uh, it's been it's been a little bit of like a a point of contention. People are just kind of up in arms, really upset about this. And so I guess we, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Although personally, I don't feel strongly either which way about, about this happening. 
But uh, Tim R. wrote in and says, I got to say, it was odd seeing a full screen ad when I first logged into my Xbox. Since it was for Call of Duty, I couldn't bring myself to be as angry as I should have been. Yeah, Tim, I feel, I guess, a little bit the same where it was like because it was for a game. And I can't tell if this is the case or if it's just that I wasn't really bothered either which way. But I feel like maybe it's because it was for a game that I was already anticipating playing, not only in general, but that very day that I saw that ad because I had pre-ordered Modern Warfare 3 and was looking forward to playing the campaign. Uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, cool. They're all hyped about Call of Duty. I'm all hyped about Call of Duty. Yeah, there's the, there's the pop-up ad. Let's launch the game and get into it. Um, but I could see why, you know, if, if you're someone who's like, no, I don't like Call of Duty. That's not my thing. Get this out of my face. It's like, why, why, in general, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, and I, I assume most people are probably like this. I'm not necessarily a fan of the idea of bombarding people with advertisements. I don't necessarily think, uh, highways and roads look prettier because we have billboards. And I know, I don't necessarily think that TV is more enjoyable when you have to stop every seven minutes for a fucking commercial break. And, I'm not generally one to think that the best web design is are are the are the sites that are littered with pop up ads and fucking uh, cookie ads. Oh yeah, you uh, you want to read about the mole that's on your arm? Well, look at this pop up ad in the corner that's trying to get you to buy Viagra, and look at this other one here that's trying to get you to book a flight to Hawaii because you accidentally clicked on uh, a picture of Hawaii when you started up your computer today, and now and now your computer and all the ads think you want to go on a flight very badly to Hawaii, but it's a long flight and you actually don't want to do that. But here's an ad for it anyway, and I hope you like that. So I get it. Again, people don't like ads. I don't like ads. That's fine. This just, I don't know, it didn't feel like a super intrusive, tasteless ad, but I guess the very nature that it is there bright and early, you pop up, you turn on your Xbox, and it's right there in your face, and you have to press B to back out of it before you can even see your dashboard. I get, I get why that would upset people, although, I don't know, man, like, I, th I think about, like, what's a game I would never in a million years give a shit about? Like, if I turned on my Xbox and it was like, the wait is over, WWE 2074 is out, experience muscle men hitting each other in the face, but it's not real, but it's not fake, and I'd be like, get, I, I don't care, but I can't, I don't, I, I don't imagine I would, like, take to Twitter to, like, to, like, I don't know, like, hate tweet about it, I wouldn't be like, ah, I woke up today and there was Duke the Duke the Maniac gracing my screen with his uh, with his WWE belt around his around his around his uh, torso and ah, I didn't like seeing that. I sure won't be paying seventy dollars for this piece of garbage. So I like classic a classic example of much to do about nothing. If you ask me, but at the same time, um, I understand why people don't like the ads. But at the same time. Your Xbox, you just spent almost seventy billion dollars on Activision. You now own Call of Duty, uh, and that and that deal went through right as a brand new Call of Duty was about to launch. I mean, you're not gonna not rub it in the faces of everyone everywhere that you own Call of Duty and you want them to buy it. Now, I mean, like, so I also like from that perspective, I'm like, can you blame them? <laughs> Uh, Cronky wrote in and says, Grandpa Cronky moment here, but Xbox did a thing where you turn on your Xbox and you get thrown into a, you get thrown into a Call of Duty ad. And then when you close that ad on your home screen, of course, you have more ads and it's just annoying. Freaking chill, Xbox. I paid 500 bucks for this crap and I buy games on that all the time. That's enough. Let me enjoy my damn device and stop spamming me with ads, you greedy buttholes. Yeah, I mean, not, not much to say here because if you, if you don't like the ads, fair justified personally i don't care dude i don't uh yeah just keep the wrestling men off my screen is all i gotta ask about uh all right let's move on guys it was n7 day uh yesterday tuesday the, the 7th and 
You know what N7 day? It's that annual it's that annual day where um BioWare, Mass Effect uh Dragon Age developer BioWare comes around to say, "Hey guys, we're still working on games even though we don't release them anymore and we don't have anything to share with you at the moment. Uh here's a fucking CGI trailer for 20 seconds that tells you absolutely nothing." But uh yep, it's N7 day. So they released a 30 second quote unquote like the heaviest quotes of all time 30 second uh, mass effect 4 teaser trailer and i watched it three times and having never really gotten into the mass effect series i don't know who this person is but i can tell you that the 30 second trailer was a woman from behind walking down a hallway and then it ended and they yes they they found a way to make that last for 30 seconds and that is your mass effect 4 teaser trailer so one thing that is totally confirmed for Mass Effect 4 is that uh, female characters will have the ability to walk down corridors, so we can at least rest easy knowing that Mass Effect 4 does not take place in some weird alt-history where women have been shunned from society and are robbed of their agency and ability and, and freedom to walk down corridors un, uh, unattended uh, or unaccompanied by a man or some other similar life form in the galaxy. So that is comforting to know at the very least. So there's your N7 day update. Yes, no, they, they're not here to say, hey, that Dragon Age game that's been like in development for 1.6 trillion years, here's a trailer for it. No, they're not here to say, yeah, we know you love Mass Effect. We're hard at work on the next game. We've got nothing to show you until we're ready to show you. No, they couldn't even respect their community that much. They had to give you a 30-second trailer of a woman walking down a hallway. So if you are a fan of women who are bipedal at the same fucking time as being a woman, then this trailer is going to do it for you. Uh, but yeah, you know, not suitable for work at the same time because her legs are like womanly. So uh, keep that in mind if you're watching this while you're at work. So all right, that's it for N7 Day, another exciting year. I gave them about the same amount of respect as they gave me with that trailer. Uh, so I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be fair and equal and honest. Okay. Now let's be popular. Let's be popular. No, let's be positive. Talk about some layoffs. <laughs> uh, although there's a there's a positive spin to this. Okay. I can't. I, I don't make the news. I'm reporting it. I just wanted to mention this because I thought it was uh, it was kind of crazy. Although we don't have all the details, I just want to just share this little bit of info. Because I think it kind of has a sweet ending, and I like it. VGC reports that the long-running video review series, Zero Punctuation, is seemingly ending following a mass exodus of staff from publication The Escapist. On Monday, Zero Punctuation creator Ben Yahtzee, uh, Crossal, 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 I don't know what his name is, but I know who the guy is. I've seen a handful of these videos. Uh, he officially resigned from The Escapist, along with the rest of the outlet's video team. The reason for the resignation seems to be uh, that the escapist owner gamers group decision, uh, they, they decided to fire longstanding editor in chief, Nick Calandra, Calandra, I don't know his last name. I follow him on Twitter. He's, I, I, I've seen his tweets. Quote, I was let go for not achieving goals that were never properly set out for us and a lack of understanding of our audience and the team that built that we had built with that audience, Calandra wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter. Calandra uh, later wrote on the Escapist Discord server, Tomorrow you will know more about what our plans are for the future, along with the live stream on Wednesday uh, with plans to go, the plans to go independent, but we will share more plans. So, so what they ended up announcing with Nick and Ben, uh, they teamed up to start basically a new spinoff solo adventure called second wind. And, uh, they revealed all that today, Wednesday as the day I'm recording this. And they basically were like, Hey, you're firing Nick. All these guys are going to quit along with him. You're firing these guys. All these other guys are going to quit. And they had a mass exodus of talent. 
at the uh, at the escapists. In fact, uh, I don't know if he resigned or was part of the layoffs, but Marty Sleva, formerly of IGN, back in IGN's glory days, uh, has worked at the at the escapists for quite a few years now, and he was part of the team that I again don't know if he either quit or uh, was laid off, but he you know took to Twitter to be like, hey, I'm out as well, uh, and you know lo- lots of notable people were just out at this at this uh, at this publication that's kind of seen as like I don't know I feel like the escapist is like they're respected and they do good work and people like them, but they don't necessarily, you know, they're not like IGN or GameSpot big where it's like, why are, it's kind of like, why are you here? What do you guys do other than people like your individual writers and staff here? So I don't know. I've always had a little bit of a thing for the escapist because they have a couple staff that I like. I followed Nick for a while on Twitter. Um, I've always been a fan of Marty Sleva, uh, from uh from from ign and i like the zero punctuation show i don't watch it all the time but i've seen a couple of youtube videos and have enjoyed them and so i just wanted to share this because you know for better or for worse whatever the reasons were staff layoffs are always disappointing really sad and shitty to see but it really warmed my heart to see that this was like i don't know the reaction from the staff was like a lot of people were like hey we're like a team we're like a family we do this thing together if you're gonna fire this guy or that guy or that team you're going to lose all of us with you. And to see them be able to take this kind of shitty situation and turn it into like, hey, we're going independent. It's like another one of those like Colin Moriarty kind of funny, uh, easy allies type thing where it's like the people leave the big publication, go on to do their own thing, and they find more success being independent and, cre- and creative on their own as opposed to being tied to the big publication. So I'm really hoping for Nick and Ben and the team at Second Win that they are able to find success. And I just wanted to kind of share that on here because I thought it was cool that – this is like the one layoff story where we don't have to be like, and they're out of a job and they don't have health care and interest rates are up and Christmas is in five weeks and it sucks, you know? So I'm just, I'm excited that I get to be like, yeah, they're going to go do their own thing. And I don't know. Maybe it blows up in their face and it fails. I don't think it will, but I'm, I'm going to be here for it. So I'm going to subscribe to their new podcast. I'm sure they have a Patreon launching soon and I'm just excited to follow along with the guys and see them get to have their independence and do their own thing. I'm sure, I'm sure my, my guess is that they will be just fine without the escapist and that the escapist is likely going to be in a worse off place for not having these guys on their team. So cool. I like that. Love that. Uh, and let's move on. Last one here. Again, it's another one where it's like, I don't know. I feel obligated to mention this, but I don't really care. Uh, we're talking about Twitter for a second. So this happened a couple weeks ago with Xbox. Actually, it might have been a couple months ago. It was No, it was earlier in the year. It wasn't like springtime. Anyway, it just happened with PlayStation today. So now the question kind of has to be asked. So PlayStation is removing the feature for you to directly link your Twitter account to your PlayStation um, so that when like you're playing PS5, you can like video share or clip share or whatever from your PS5 to your Twitter account. This feature was removed from Xbox earlier in the year with no real full explanation. And now Elon Musk is like getting a butt, like hit up with like, Ooh, what's going on? Why are all the video game platformers pulling out from Twitter integration? He's like, I will look into this. I am Elon Musk. I have a car that's a Cybertruck and it's never actually coming out. Ha ha ha. Joke's on you. It's been five years and the car's still not here. And uh, so... I don't know. It's just like it's one of those things where it's like people are starting to speculate. Oh, these video game creators or these video game companies are intentionally pulling out from support of Twitter over personal thoughts and feelings about Musk and the way he's running the company. I don't think that's true. I think it has probably more to do with some back end things that have changed at Twitter that probably require PlayStation and Xbox to have certain access or lack of certain control and access that might compromise security for their users. And that might be a reason for why they don't want to allow their users to link Twitter accounts to their Xbox or PlayStation account. That was my guess is that there's some kind of like new backend change that makes it 
unappealing for third parties like PlayStation and Xbox to want to work with Twitter. But I, I just feel like I had to mention this because we're going to have to watch this story develop because clearly there's more to it than what we've known so far, and we'll see it evolve. So I just want to put it out there that this is like a weird development that it's like, why is Twitter support being removed from all these platforms? I think it was also taken away from Nintendo Switch as well about a year or two ago. So it's not, or, you know, yeah, it was like a year ago, right? I don't know. So anyway, needless to say, it's weird. Something's happening here, and it's just kind of a look to this space for future updates because uh, apparently there's something going on with Twitter and Twitter integration on video game platforms. All right. With that said, let's um excited to get into the main news with you guys. But we're gonna, first, I want to talk all about the games I've been playing this week, starting with Modern Warfare 3. I'm very excited to share my thoughts and feelings on that. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, I think we're going to go in and talk about what I've been eating. So you guys, it's, it's time. I want to talk about two things this week because... One thing is like a what I will be eating, a item acquired but not consumed kind of thing. And the other is uh, something that's perplexing me. So it's been a while. I try not to talk about Disney food too much because I feel like it's a little obscure if I'm like talking about this awesome food at Disney World and everyone listening to the podcast is like, great, I live in Michigan. How the fuck am I going to try, uh, you know, Goofy Goofy's Burrito or whatever the fuck it is you're going on and on about. So I like to talk about more accessible and universal foods, but we got to talk about Disney for a second because... If you've ever been to a Disney theme park, you know, you go into some of the gift shops, they have some of those candies and treats and little souvenir snacks that you can pick up. They're prepackaged and good to go. And uh, it's always been one of the pleasures of, of a Disney trip for me. I always love, I'm a food over souvenirs kind of guy. I'd rather have a good meal, a good snack or whatever than like a fucking plush or a t-shirt or a trinket, right? So to me, when I'm at Disney World, it's all about money allocation is almost entirely dependent on what kind of food and beverage options are available to me. And one of the things I always loved from the beginning of my time visiting Disney World is they have, like, their own in-house line of, like, sweets and cookies. Like, at Disney Springs, their little shop, shopping outdoor dining uh, entertainment district, they have a store there called Goofy's Candy Company. It's one of the greatest stores of all time. If you don't love it, you're a terrible person. It's also located adjacent to a Rainforest Cafe, so that should tell you just how incredible this place's existence is. The mere existence of this location makes living in Orlando, Florida a justifiable reason. So, Mom, yeah, that's why I moved to Florida. That's why I'm not close by. That's why I won't be there for every birthday. Okay, I'm sorry. I want to live next to the Rainforest Cafe and Goofy's Candy Company. Back to the story. So, at Goofy's Candy Company, and you can find this in a lot of gift shops all around Disney parks, whether you're in California, Florida, whatever the fuck. But this is like the mecca of all the in-house line of Disney treats and stuff. They got fucking taffies and gummies and treats and slushies and cookies and and, and cakes and Rice Krispie treats and caramel dipped uh, apples and all this stuff, right? It's all Disney-fied and it's great. It's a wonderful store. You walk in there, you feel like you're blasted back into like 1994 Disney and there's freaking like awesome decorations and uh, animatronic type arm cuckoo shit doesn't don't have to get into it i love the, the theming of that store but um one thing i always loved it was a tradition back when i lived in georgia was at the end of every disney vacation you go to disney springs formerly known as downtown disney you go to the goofy's candy company and you just fucking stockpile on all the disney treats 
you go back home to Georgia, you got a big old bag of all these Disney treats, and you kind of ration them for like a month. You kind of survive off like Disney treats. So it's like having a little bit of that magic back home with you. And I always looked forward to it a lot. And one of the things I love living here is that from, from time to time, you know, I like to spoil myself a little bit, get a couple Disney treats, bring them home. This will be a nice thing. I'll eat this maybe like after a long day of work or maybe on Saturday I'll eat a little bit of this while I'm playing gaming, you know, a little freaking uh, Mickey Mouse popcorn or whatever the hell it is. All right, now we can hone in. You got the you got the you got the context. You got the understanding of why these Disney treats are so special. Now we got to hone in on the specific treats of uh, that is the topic of the discussion here, which is the Minis Bakehouse uh, cookies. Okay, so back in the day, there's a there's a line of of, of like baked treats, and they're all li- like all the packaging is called like like mini like Minnie Mouse like Minnie Mouse bake shop goods whatever, and you can get these giant ass fucking cookies. They had like a white chocolate raspberry one. They have like the peanut butter one. They have like the classic chocolate chip with sea salt on top, and they're like these thick ass chunky beautiful cookies, and they're delicious. They're amazing, and I recommend them to people who enjoy good cookies. And I would always get these things. They're, they meant the world to me. They're so good. Was, there's nothing better than like coming home from a Disney trip two weeks later just being so sad that you're not at Disney World anymore but knowing that back home you got some fucking Minnie Mouse cookies those cookies went away a while ago I haven't seen them in a while it sucks when you look at the Minnie's bake shop items they got like fucking graham crackers now they got like all this other shit they don't have the, the cookies I'm looking for they have like shortbread like this is fucking UK or something like I'm gonna dip some shortbreads into my tea no I need my fucking cookies. I need a cookie that is a minimum of 1,200 calories. Otherwise, I'm not a man. And so they brought back the cookies, but in a new form. Now, they come in these little bags, and they're like mini cookies, kind of like Chips Ahoy. But the packaging is super cute. It looks like a homemade little baggie that Minnie Mouse put together for you. And it's full of little bite-sized cookies. I'm like, oh, this is cute, you know? Uh, I was at the Disney Springs the other day. I was at the AMC movie theater using up my AMC Stubbs Pass before it expires for good, and I'm no longer able to access the movie theater for one low, convenient monthly price. And I watched the movie. It was an anime movie. It was not very good, but it was an anime movie, and I did watch it. And then I said, I'm going to walk around Disney Springs, take a lap, get my steps in for the day so I'm not a lazy, fat, lethargic piece of shit. And I stopped by the Goofy's Candy Company. I said, what better way to burn off some calories than buying some cookies? Because I saw these cookies there, and I was like, I, I got... Listen, new cookies, I got to try them. So I bought the chocolate chip ones, and I said, fuck it. I'll get the lemon ones, too. So I got the lemon cookies. I got the chocolate chip cookies, and I'm bringing them home. I'm excited about them. But the thing is, I open up the bag, and these little cookies, they are bite size. They're super fucking small. They're like they're like 70% the size of like a Chips, a Chips Ahoy cookie. Not even. No, they're not even. They're like they're half the size of a Chips Ahoy cookie. These things are small. And they're super crispy, crunchy too. And I'm a little disappointed by that on the, you know, at, at face value. But the more and more I eat them, the more I'm like, oh, these are, these aren't, these aren't like the old big old chewy soft cookies they used to have. But these are addicting. It's like a Chips Ahoy cookie, but better. They're more buttery. They're more sugary. They're more delicious. They're more artificial. They're more theme park like I love them they're special and I'm into them so now I'm eating these little mini chocolate chip cookies and they're crunchy and they're munching I'm like oh my god look at all these calories I'm burning I'm getting my steps around Disney Springs I got the fucking cookies and they're good and then uh and then I try the the lemon ones and they're just okay they're not very good and overall compare the old cookies we used to have they're not that good at all actually but they are good they are they are good 
they're not worth the price. It's seven bucks for a bag, and the bag's not very big. So I won't be getting them again because of that price tag, but they are good. It's fine. I use my annual pass discount. I got a discount on them because I have an annual pass, so it's okay. But it was still too expensive, and I don't and I don't regret it because it was the first time. But I want those old mini cookies back. These are good. They're just not as good. I took them home. Girlfriend, she did not like them. That's not good. She used to like the mini's cookies. So that's okay. I'll, 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 I'll finish the bag. I did finish the bag already. I'm not saying I will finish the bag. I already finished the bag. They were good. I enjoyed them. But Disney, we got we to gotta get back to basics, man. How about one really good big cookie as opposed to a bag of smaller, just okay cookies? They're not bad. I don't regret it. They're fine. But we can do better. Minnie Mouse... Get back in the kitchen and make us some more cookies, okay? All right, so that's it for what I've been eating. But I also want to throw a shout-out to Mountain Dew Game Fuel because, as we've been talking about, the new Halo... Well, Xbox is doing a big fall promotion with Mountain Dew. So if you go to your local grocery to buy some Mountain Dew, you'll notice that regardless of the flavor you buy, it all has Xbox branding. They'll have freaking Forza or Starfield or they got Doom and Minecraft and all, all the things, Sea of Thieves, all over the packaging and you can get like these little Xbox points. I haven't really looked into it to understand what these Xbox points are for, or how you accrue them, but that's not what's important. The important part is they brought back Game Fuel, Gamer Fuel, Game Fuel. And it comes in two flavors. You get the Citrus Charged Classic Game Fuel, and that's all Halo themed. Or you can get the Berry whatever, which they haven't had in a long ass time. They used to do it for like World of Warcraft, but it's back. And now it's in promotion of Diablo 4. Which is kind of weird to me, because I'm like, w w did Microsoft plan this with the expectation that they would own Activision Blizzard? Like, how, how did that, whatever, I don't even want to get into that. It's kind of weird, that because this a promotion like this, like a thing like this has to be in motion many, many months in advance. So it's like, were they going to release an Xbox Diablo promotion with the assumption that they would own Activision Blizzard? Like, how did that work? But anyway, I saw them at my local Publix. Usually when a new Mountain Dew flavor comes out, I feel like we don't get them here in Florida until like, a couple weeks late but no they were here at my local grocery store fuck you Publix you charge way too much for soda these days but it was buy two get one free so it was almost normal price with that promotion and uh, I, I said fuck it I'm just going to stock up on it now I'll buy a 12 pack of each of them and then one's free so I guess I'll get three for three for the price of two whatever and then I'll, I'll hoard them and I won't drink them I told you I'm waiting so I bought them I got two of the Halo ones and one of the Diablo ones and I, I, I stockpiled them they're in my, they're in the back of my apartment, unopened, and they're staying there until I move in a few weeks. And once I move, I'll pop them open, and that's the. I told my girlfriend, this is the first thing that will go in our refrigerator in our new home. Okay, we will have ice cold Game Fuel Mountain Dew. First thing I want to do when we move is set up the refrigerator, fill it up with Mountain Dew Game Fuel, set up the the couch and the, and the entertainment system and the TV and all that shit in the living room. And I want to, of course, get some internet going, get Spectrum, get out here, get the internet going. I want to play some Halo Infinite and drink an ice-cold Game Fuel Mountain Dew. That's the first thing I want to do in my house. Everything after that, I don't care. I'll, I'll clean, I'll cook, I'll mow the lawn, I'll, I'll freaking get on the roof and inspect the, the shingles, whatever you got to do to be a freaking homeowner. But before we do any of that, I got to live out the fantasy of cracking an ice-cold one. Sitting on my couch playing some Halo and saying this is my goddamn house and it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. I can't wait. So, Mountain Dew Game Fuel acquired but not tasted yet, and I know a lot of people out there are trying to find it right now. It's not fully out. Usually it takes a couple weeks. It's kind of frustrating with Mountain Dew because sometimes it'll be like the new flavor is out and then you have to wait like two weeks before you find it in your area and then it's readily available. 
on the converse side, what can happen is they'll be like, new Mountain Dew flavor. And then it's like, okay, uh, I went to the store. I didn't find it. Okay. And then you go to the store the next week. It's like, oh, I found like a personal bottle of one of the new flavors. And I picked that up and I'm looking for the other one. And then the next time you go to the store, it's all gone. And then you look online. They're like, yeah, they, they sold through their entire inventory and they're not going to be releasing anymore. And it's like, what the fuck, Mountain Dew? Just like, don't do. How about instead of doing a new flavor every two months, you just do like one or two flavors a year? And make sure you do them properly. I'm talking about full release. And I'm tired of this whole American-only thing. Listen, our friends in Canada, our friends across the pond, our friends over in Australia, these are other dew-drinking territories. They want their Mountain Dew. So why are you making these things exclusive to Americans? Get better, Mountain Dew. And Mountain Dew, I know you're a subsidiary of the Pepsi Company, your brand underneath the Pepsi Company umbrella. Pepsi Company, please, I need you to get better. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Guys, let's talk about the games I've been playing because that is it for what I've been eating. And as for the games I've been playing, you, you guessed it. What gave it away? I'm playing the Modern Warfare 3 campaign. Here's another week, second week in a row, where I should have taken down some detailed notes, and I did not. And I played this campaign on Friday, Saturday, beat it. Haven't thought of, or haven't played it since. And uh, now I'm going to try to go back into the recess of my brain to figure out what I was thinking and feeling four days ago. But let's get this out of here, plain and simple. This is the biggest contrast coming off of Alan Wake 2. I played Alan Wake 2 last week, immaculate. Game of the year, minimum of a 9 out of 10. It's just a beautiful experience. What a phenomenal game. Play Alan Wake 2. Like Make it a life goal for yourself to, to see Alan Wake 2 through to the end. That game is such an immaculate piece of art. Modern Warfare 3. This is the worst Call of Duty campaign. No, I'm not going to say that. It's hard. Okay. Let's talk about Call of Duty in the context of Modern Warfare 1, like 2007, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. Starting with that, because the older Call of Duties, that's that's like not even the same game. That's like not even recognizable. So since 2007, the worst Call of Duty campaigns, without a doubt, have been Black Ops 3, because Black Ops 3, as much as I love Black Ops, Black Ops 3 is a dog shit campaign. People say Ghost is a terrible campaign, but I can't speak to that because it's like the only Call of Duty I've never played. I think World War II has a... Not bad campaign, but boring as fuck campaign. It's worse than bad. It's so boring. It puts me to sleep. It's like the only one I've ever played and didn't finish. Um, and then I would say Vanguard has a dog shit campaign as well. You're starting to see a trend here. Sledgehammer can't make Call of Duty games. Advanced Warfare is fine. I, I think Advanced Warfare is fine. It's not super memorable, but it is. It is. It's. I'm going to keep that off the chopping block. It's fine. Yeah, it's, I'd say that's it, really. Like I'd say World War II, Vanguard, Black Ops 3... And they say Ghost, but I won't say Ghost because I haven't played Ghost. But this one right here, Modern Warfare 3 2023. What's your excuse, man? What's your excuse? This campaign sucks so much. And it actually pains me to say because if you listen to the show for any extended period of time, you know I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm a Call of Duty fan. I've really especially come back to the franchise since, like, the new era, especially because Black Ops Cold War, in my opinion, is so good. And that's the craziest thing, by the way, as a side note. Black Ops Cold War... That game was such a development hell nightmare. But shout out to Raven, who made the campaign for that game. Top three Call of Duty campaigns of all time. That game's campaign, fucking phenomenal. So good. Fast forward to Modern Warfare 3 just a few years later. This campaign is dog shit. Such dog shit. And I really liked Modern Warfare 2019's campaign. I thought Modern Warfare 2019 had a really solid campaign. Fast forward to last year. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I thought, had a really, really damn good campaign. Now, there is an issue where Modern Warfare 2 kind of feels like a... And I see other people have been making this comparison, so 
sorry if it's controversial, but you do feel a little bit where it's like Modern Warfare 2019, it's a good game. Then Modern Warfare 2022 comes out and it's another good game, but it's kind of unrelated. It's like a random left turn. Very like Star Wars The Last Jedi from Star Wars The Force Awakens. And then Modern Warfare 3 is very much Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker where it's like, okay, the first one was good. The second one was good but polarizing. And the third one is complete garbage that tries to somehow make the first two make sense together. And and ties way too many things together way too fast and sucks. That is exactly what this Modern Warfare, this new Modern Warfare trilogy is. And I, I think it's very clear by the way this one ends. And I won't spoil this, the, the individual story plot, plot points. But uh, I think it's very clear the way this ends that this is not a trilogy. That they are intending on keeping the Modern Warfare franchise going indefinitely. And that the next uh, Infinity Ward Call of Duty game will probably be Modern Warfare 4. But... With that said, for now, let's just try to look at it as a trilogy. It feels very much Star Wars new sequel trilogy to me. And, and my opinion on that is exactly my opinion on this. First one, really good. Second one, even better, but kind of polarizing. Some people really hate it, and it's definitely a departure from what the last one was. And it's going to take some work and fleshing out to kind of make all these things connect and be coherent together. And then the third one comes out, and it just fucks the whole thing up. Like, I mean, Modern Warfare 3... Modern Warfare 3 is a sequel to Modern Warfare 2019 with some elements from Modern Warfare 2022 and then a super rush plot with terrible pacing, no character development, bad writing, terrible mission design, uninspired gameplay, every, I mean everything. It's it's such a it's such a sin. And it makes me sad cuz last year's Modern Warfare, and you know, in in all fairness, we got to talk about the developer and the development timeline as well because it's super relevant, right? Modern Warfare 3 was supposed to originally be a year two expansion for Modern Warfare 2 and then got morphed into its own game. So this is this is definitely a thing where, like, first and foremost, we got to hold Activision accountable because even though Sledgehammer was tasked with doing this Modern Warfare 2 year two DLC that morphed into Modern Warfare 3, at the end of the day, it's not their fault that they were forced to make this a full package individual release sequel game as opposed to an expansion, a year two content drop. So it is important that we hold Activision accountable because this is their doing that they chose to package and release and market this as a Modern Warfare 3 as opposed to Modern Warfare 2. But you feel the this is just DLC so bad when you're playing this game. I already We already talked about it when I played the beta a few weeks ago for multiplayer and now I got to talk about it for the campaign because... Holy shit, this is so stitched together. The thing about Modern Warfare 2 last year was that, love it or hate it, the campaign was so cool because you could tell that Infinity Ward spent three years really fleshing out the narrative points, the character development, uh, really unique gameplay concepts, and, and really interesting level design where, like, every couple levels you were always doing something different. You know, you'd have your traditional linear shooter COD levels, and then you had, like, that mission where you're, like, hanging upside down from a helicopter, fucking fighting guys upside down, and then you're, like, jumping from vehicle to vehicle trying to chase down the bad guys. You got that mission, which is super cool. You got, like, that stealthy mission with Soap and Ghost where it's, like, you're trying to control the security cameras and guide the dude through like the through like the maze of enemies and stuff and then like towards the end of the game in modern warfare 2 you had that really cool mission where you had like it was like a stealth mission you had like sneak around the the skyscraper building and like find parts to like craft weapons to like sneak around and kill the bad guys you know, like craft like like pipe bombs and fucking knives and, and and stuff and like do crazy shit i'm like there were so many moments in last year's call of duty where i was like 
this is like really fucking creative level design and really really cool and innovative mechanics to be introducing to a Call of Duty campaign. And it made the gameplay so unique, so fun, so varied. Uh, and, and you could tell they put so much thought and detail and effort into trying to make it a full and different campaign. There were walking sim levels where it's just mostly narrative and cutscenes and walking around and exploring. There were action-packed blow-up cutscenes, Michael Bay fucking Transformer scenes, and everything in between. It, it had everything. It was so good. They had the whole, like, fucking Mexican cartel thing, like, the the terrorist group and the Russians trying to pin it on Mexico, but the U.S. was selling the, the fucking weapons and all the stuff, and, like, the plot twist, and it was, it was cool, and they had, like, fucking Alejandro, and he got introduced to the group, and he was an awesome character, and the, the whole, like, fucking subplot with El Sinombre and all that shit, and, like, the Mexican Special Forces, it has, like, all those, like, fun characters and, like, memorable quotes, like, I mean, like, every day at work, me and my, the, one of my coworkers who likes Call of Duty, we're always, like, walking around, we're always, like, uh, Mexican Special Forces, and, like, always, like, quoting the game and all that stuff, I'm like, it had cool characters, had cool moments. It just it was fun. It was a really fun, dumb, full fledged action movie. In this game, in Modern Warfare Three, all that's gone. Alejandro, who the fuck is that? He's not even in the game. Mexico, they're not even involved. All of a sudden, just fuck Mexico. Now they're going back to Yerzikstan or whatever the the fictional Middle Eastern country from the Modern Warfare Twenty Nineteen. So they're bringing that back into the mix, which kind of makes sense. But there's no like, there's no like succinct like or or like smooth transition from what was happening in Modern Warfare 2 into Modern Warfare 3 now. And so now, now Farah's back in the game. And she's cool. I loved her in Modern Warfare 2019, so I'm happy to see her. But she was, like, barely there in Modern Warfare 2. Now she's back at the forefront, but she's with Task Force 141. And you can tell so clearly that her plot points from the first game and Task Force 141's plot points from the second game are unrelated and we don't need to shove these characters together and make them all like a team now. And now they have way too many cooks in the kitchen, all these characters. They brought back Alex from the fucking dead. And that's not a spoiler alert that happened in like a multiplayer season of, of modern warfare 2019's like uh fucking uh, yeah. Like, like a few years ago in a multiplayer season that happened. And so he's back from the dead, but he's completely fucking useless. He plays no role. He's just there in the background. And so they have way too many characters and no time to develop them or make them matter at all. And so narratively, it's just a fucking nightmare. And they got this new bad guy, you know, Makarov. It's like a bring, they're bringing him back from the old Modern Warfare trilogy. But he's not cool. He's not menacing. He's not purple like Thanos. And you know, for a bad guy to be bad and menacing and, 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 and terrifying and all that and intimidating, he's got to be purple like Thanos. And so he doesn't have that going for him. And just like, it's kind of poignant with everything that's going on in the world. We're in a very like, verge of World War Three kind of situation with things going on in the Middle East and things going on with Russia and Ukraine and the U.S.'s inability to keep to themselves and not fucking get involved in every uh, international conflict. And so it's like this game's kind of like has the potential to say a lot with the fact that it's involved with a fictional Middle Eastern country and a in a propped up fake terrorist organization and then this like Russian terrorist and like this Russian thing that's going on over here. And it has nothing interesting whatsoever to say, despite having all of that super low hanging fruit right in front of its face. Um, so narratively, the game's just a fucking mess. But you're like, okay, well, Jesse, it's Call of Duty. All that matters is that the game is fun. So fuck the characters, fuck the story. Is the game fun? Well, no. Because while there are moments in this game where it's cool, don't get me wrong, there are moments, there are cutscenes, especially towards the end, where it's like, I want to get invested, this is kind of cool, I kind of like where this is going, the game wraps up way too quick to let it, you know, play out and be good, and then with the campaign levels, it's like, there are some, there, there are some good levels or good ideas, but it's like, this short little three and a half, four hour campaign 
is like a bunch of small levels. Some of them are like sh- like cut down traditional Call of Duty running gun linear levels, and some of them are this new open zone, open world sandbox levels, which is exactly what you've heard from every other YouTuber, every other critic and reviewer and everything. It's, it is literally just they take sections of the Warzone map, they plop it into this game, and they and they they're like Oh, you need to open up this uh, open up this shipping crate and grab a bomb diffuser and then run to the other side of the map and plant it on a tank and then the level is over and like it's like all of that. So the game will be like traditional Call of Duty level, open world level, another open world level, traditional Call of Duty level, open world level, two traditional Call of Duty levels, another open world level, and it just goes back and forth kind of like that and a little bit of a pattern but not quite. And it's like. They're terrible. Like, they're so lazy. They're so terrible. And you can tell how it's literally just Warzone assets fucking cut off and dumped into a campaign. Because, like, you'll be playing a regular level, and it's like regular old Call of Duty. Like, you're running around, you're shooting guys. You pick up the enemy's weapon, now you're playing with this weapon. Then you zip line over here, you're on this set piece, and this thing blows up, and you go over here, and then the cutscene triggers. It's like, okay, it's Call of Duty. But then you get dropped into little open zone combat mission levels, and you can tell, like, there's no there's no dialogue. There's no cinematics. It's just dog shit. You're just in the middle of a Warzone map, and all of a sudden you have all the trappings of Warzone. You gotta you gotta fucking loot stuff. You gotta find your little zipline hook. You gotta find uh, armor plates and pad yourself up. You gotta find uh, more uh, like higher rarity weapons to fight with and shit. And it's like in theory, it's like oh, you can play stealthy. You like build your class and you like approach the the situation and try to like take down the enemies. But it always devolves into the same nonsense. It's like okay, I stealthily took out that guy and that guy. Okay, now the alarm went off and all these guys are attacking and you're just in a fucking war zone map mowing down hordes of guys. And that's all it ever is. Then you grab the bomb, you defuse it, level ends, and you move on to the next level. It's like so lazy, so half-baked, so half-assed, so sad. And I understand for some people it's like the idea of this like open zone level thing is cool to them and like it could be cool. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm not saying it can't be done right. But whatever they did here... This isn't like the future of Call of Duty, like they're trying to market it. This is just clearly a, hey guys, we were tasked with making a like year two campaign expansion. Then it was turned into a Modern Warfare 3 full-blown individual sequel. And we had to pad this shit out. There just wasn't enough time to make a proper campaign. So we had to pad it out with bullshit. And that's so clearly what this is. It is padding a fucking otherwise very minimal campaign with dog shit bullshit levels. Just nonsense. It's so bad. And it sucks to say because, like, there are moments in the game where I'm I'm having fun. It's like, this level, this particular level is fun. Or that particular cutscene was cool. Or, like, this idea that they have here for the for this part of the story is good. But they don't have the time to flesh out that detail. They don't have the time to flesh out that character. They don't have the length of the levels to, to make it, like, a full-fledged experience. And then these open zone levels, these open world little sandbox levels suck ass in... in, in in uh, an accompaniment with the regular traditional levels. And it's just, it's really sad because it's just such, you can feel it. Like it feels rough around the edges. It feels cheap. It feels half baked. And he, and here's like the thing, because at the end of the day, if this was released and marketed the way it was supposed to be, if this was just call of duty, modern warfare Two, the, uh, Makarov expansion, you know, like if that, if that's what it was, it's like, oh man, it's year two of Modern Warfare 2 and the Russians have invaded and now you got to track down and fight Makarov as Task Force 141. I'd be like, cool. And I'd play this campaign, I'd be like, it's a little rushed, it's a little half-baked, some of these gameplay concepts feel a little cheap, some of these levels feel a little budgety and a little like slapped together, but you know what? 
for $50 DLC for a year to expansion, not a proper Call of Duty release, but just an expansion, something additive for people who want more content this year. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty solid. That would have been my takeaway. But because this is supposed to be the full-fledged direct sequel to the game we got literally 12 months ago with Modern Warfare 2, man, it's Modern Warfare 2 is so fresh in my mind. I can't help but look at the two and compare them side by side and say, one of these is a great game and one of these is a piece of dog shit. And keep in mind, I'm clear, I'm, I'm specifically just talking about the campaigns. But I really like Call of Duty campaigns. And this is, to me, a complete travesty and kind of a shit show unlike any, any Call of Duty we've ever seen before. Because with World War II, that game feels polished and full-fledged. I just thought it was really boring. And with Vanguard, like, that campaign felt mostly content complete. I just thought the characters were fucking lame and the story they were telling sucked. Like, that's fine. That Those games just weren't for me. But, like, with Modern Warfare 3, it's like, I don't know, I feel like there are some things that are good here. Like, the campaign was made by Sledgehammer with, with uh, like, a guidance from Infinity Ward. But it's just, like, I can't help but think, like, how much it sucks to be Infinity Ward and know that you laid the foundation with Modern Warfare 2019. Then you followed up after three years of hard work with Modern Warfare 2022. And now, some other guy gets handed the keys to your finale, and you just get to watch him fucking crash, crash into a fucking wall. It's like, it's like you get to get a job and work hard, and then you get to save up money and go buy a car, and then you get to give the keys to your little fucking brother and watch him drive it into a fucking building and destroy it. And that's kind of what Modern Warfare 3 feels like. It's like, there have got to be people over at Infinity Ward who are just like, what the fuck, man? We just spent like six or seven years working on this new Modern Warfare universe, and we just were forced by Activision to give the keys to infin- to a Sledgehammer, and they just fucked the whole thing up. And again, if you're Sledgehammer, I don't envy you. You, you I'm sure they could have done better. I'm sure if they had two or three years like the other guys had to make a full-fledged campaign, they could have made this much better. But they didn't. They had one year, and what they came up with sucks. And it's just, it's shitty. So ultimately, I think the buck stops clearly with Activision, right? Shame on them for forcing this to be a full-fledged sequel when in actuality it really needed to be that DLC that it was supposed to be. And again, it's like with that said, to a smaller and lesser extent, I joked about it on Twitter, but to some extent, I I, I gotta help. You gotta wonder, man. Sledgehammer's been dealt a shitty hand a couple times, but Advanced Warfare is okay. I think people have like a retroactive fondness for it, but it's 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 fine. It's not bad, but it's not exceptional either. World War II, kind of boring. Vanguard, pretty bad. Now they did Modern Warfare 3. I don't know that you need these guys to be a main player in the Call of Duty space. You know, everyone fucks up. Again, I never played Ghost, but people say Ghost is Infinity Ward's worst Call of Duty. Um, I, I will say all day and night till the cows come home. Yeah, Black Ops 3 has great zombies. That's fun. But Black Ops 3 is a dog shit Call of Duty game otherwise. Campaign sucks. Multiplayer sucks. I hate Black Ops 3. But other than that, I mean, World at War, Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2, Black Ops 4, Cold War. Treyarch makes the best Call of Duty games, such great games. And so it's like, I don't know, man. Like, you can't have the cream of the crop with that, with uh, Treyarch and and the, the generally great Infinity Ward and then have Sledgehammer just keep fumbling time and time again with these with these big games. Like, I, I, is that really beneficial to your to your IP really all just so you can continue to be annualized. Is it really worth it to you to do that? 
So I, I don't know. I can't help but wonder. And, and now that Xbox is in charge, I feel like, and I really hope they're looking at this because the timing couldn't have been any better, right? Because Microsoft finally gets Call of Duty right before this game comes out. It comes out and it's a kind of a fucking mess. And they're pushing ads to people's home screens and shoving it down your throat. Hey, we own Call of Duty now. But it's like, yeah, but the Call of Duty you just bought is in a bad spot. And I hope Microsoft's looking at this and saying, listen, man, we we don't need to do annualized Call of Duty. The good thing is Activision is no longer a publicly traded company. They don't answer to shareholders. There doesn't need to be a new Call of Duty every year. I understand the cost of development is so high for Call of Duty that the way it's it's that the way it's um you know the way it's kind of set up is like in order for it to be profitable and to work the way it works it needs to be kind of done constantly there needs to be constantly new content new things to buy but i i you got to think now that call of duty is a small part of xbox which is a small part of microsoft there's so it's so de-emphasized it's importance to carry the brand and carry everything while it is very important for xbox it is not the end-all, be-all for Microsoft. So I, I, I got to hope and pray and think that maybe, just maybe, the team at Xbox have the breathing room now that Activision never had to say, Call of Duty, take a fucking breath. Sledgehammer, you're on support work now, okay? Stop making campaigns. You can't do it. And Treyarch, Infinity Ward, you guys take three or four years per game. It's okay that not every year there's going to be a new Call of Duty. Maybe maybe sometimes we get a little expansion. Maybe sometimes we get new maps. Maybe sometimes we get extended seasonal content. I don't know. But we don't need to have a new Call of Duty every single year. Because it's better to have fewer CODs that are truly great than to have a COD every year and know that some of them are what this game is. Which is so far just, just, not, just not great. The multiplayer is fun so far, right? No doubt. I'm going to play a lot this weekend. But here's the thing is it's just old maps remastered on modern warfare 2 with slight tweaks to the gunplay like they just did the things the community wanted with the tweaking of the gunplay and remade old maps like it's not groundbreaking what they've done here and that new zombies mode i'm cautiously optimistic but if i'm being honest like come on unless it's the traditional classic zombies mode these these are always end up being little gimmicky cash grab things like i'm my 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 I, i'm excited to play it i'm gonna give it a try but my expectation is this new zombies mode is going to be dog shit. And I know that's Treyarch developing that, but again, I, d I have no hope <laughs> for this. So Modern Warfare 3 so far, it's been a, a big disappointment for me, at least. And you can, again, if, if they had just embraced that it was year two DLC, I could have been so much more on board with what this is. If this was just... We're adding a zombies mode to Modern Warfare 2. We're adding these remade Modern Warfare 2 maps from 2009 to Modern Warfare 2 2022. We're retooling some of the gunplay and some of the features in multiplayer to meet the meet the requests of our community and our, and our biggest fans. We're adding a new additional campaign that that is a is a expansion of last year's campaign. It's not the sequel, but it's an It's more content. It's like a, it's like an interstitial or something like that. If that's what this game was, if that's what this all was, was a year two package like that, and that's the way it was worded and messaged, and it was fifty dollars instead of seventy dollars or something, I'd be like, yo, this is this is pretty good, pretty cool. Maybe they should do this more in the future. These year two DLCs, I, I'm into it. But because this is Modern Warfare Three, I mean, come on, man. I don't know, man. It's like it's like going to a five star like a five-star or, or like a Michelin-star rated restaurant for dinner 
having the greatest meal of your life, leaving halfway through the dinner, hitting the McDonald's drive-thru on the way home, and being like, ah, and for dessert, a quarter pounder of cheese. It's like, come on, man. Like, it's that it's that meme with the horse where it's split in three, and you got like the butt, the middle, and the head. It's like that fucking that third part, man. It looks like a fucking three year old drew it, and it's just it's not great. So that's Modern Warfare three. Uh, aside from that, still dabbling in Halo Infinite. Haven't touched Alan Wake two since I beat it last weekend, um, but I do plan on getting back to that at some point when things calm down. I'm a little more experienced with Modern Warfare three. I also downloaded Gungrave Gore uh, because it's leaving Game Pass soon, and I was really curious to play that. Only played the first two levels, but I must say, game's pretty badass. It's like a, it's like a PS2 third-person Japanese action shooter in the most, in the most like complimentary way. Like this game feels so comforting and nostalgic and old, while also like being modernized and playable today. And I, and I, I enjoy this game, but I don't really have anything to say to it because I didn't put enough time into it, but. Uh, shout out to those things and playing them as well. But yeah, Modern Warfare 3 campaign. I, I, I hate to say it because, you know, since Mo- since Call of Duty reinvented itself, man, like Modern Warfare 2019, awesome campaign. Black Ops Cold War, one of the best campaigns ever in the series. Uh, Modern Warfare 2022, badass campaign. Vanguard, meh. Now we got this one, trash. Sledgehammer, we got to talk, boy. Come in the back office, manager needs to talk to you. It's not, it's not, it's not okay. Things aren't going well. So anyway, that's it for what I've been playing. Xbox, please take note. Please, 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 for the love of God, take note of what's happening with Call of Duty. And uh, let's take a quick break and then jump into the news. On to the news. So we got one this week to start off with. So it's a development on a story that I failed to cover a week ago or two weeks ago when it happened. So we're going to cover... Something that I, you know, I lazily and selfishly didn't cover because I was just uh, too busy only focusing on VGC and VGC didn't cover this. So now we're uh, pulling it back from Windows Central and then adding the new update from VGC. So a little new news with some old news, but none of it has been reported or covered on this show. So let's just jump right into it because uh, it's big stuff. So from starting with the Windows Central original relay. The gaming leadership team at Xbox is changing in big in big ways. Per a memo obtained by The Verge, head of Xbox Game Studios Matt Booty is being promoted to the president of games content and studios. With this promotion, Booty will oversee Xbox Game Studios while also overseeing ZeniMax Media, the parent company of Bethesda Softworks. ZeniMax Media still is being run in a limited integration format with president and CEO Jamie Leder Ledar uh, leading the company and reporting to Booty. Quote, games, great games are fundamental to everything we do, Microsoft Gaming Phil Spencer said in a memo, CEO of gaming. Uh, We believe that expanding gaming content organization, one that enables Xbox Studios and ZeniMaxes to develop studios and collaborate effectively together, will empower those world-class studios to do their best work in growing our portfolio of game players' love. End quote. Meanwhile, Sarah Bond is also being promoted to president of Xbox, a role that will have her overseeing hardware, business planning, and much more. The Verge notes that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick departs next year, and when that happens, there will be more women than men in gaming leadership at that time. All right, put a pin in that, and then we'll add on from VGC the latest development on this story, which is that Microsoft has appointed 
former Turn 10 boss Alan Hartman as its new head of gaming studios. Hartman, who joined Forza Motorsport developer back in 2005 at Turn 10, had spent the last two years working as corporate vice president of Forza and Fable. Quote, thrilled to be representing such an elite set of game creators in my new uh, role leading Xbox Game Studios, he wrote in LinkedIn. Hartman's promotion follows several recently announced Xbox leadership changes. He's taking on the role previously held by Matt Booty before his promotion. So, all right, let's jump into this. There's a lot I could say here, but so let's just try to touch on a couple tendrils and we'll go from there. So starting with Matt Booty and his promotion, first of all, it, I do want to just throw out here that it notes in his new role, he's kind of overseeing Xbox Game Studios and ZeniMax Media. I assume he will also be overseeing Activision once that is more integrated, but at this point in time, since they're in early days of that and they're just kind of doing a lot of meeting with Activision, learning from Activision, Bobby Kodak's still in charge for a little while before he's gone. I assume right now it's just for now, Matt Booty is just in charge of Xbox and Zenimax. But this is a huge move because, well, not only is this a huge step up for Matt Booty, but this this is also the beginning of integrating Xbox Game Studios with Zenimax. So this is, you know, kind of the whole, remember, Zenimax is kind of going to be left in the corner to do their own thing. This is kind of the first time where it's like, well, now that's not exactly so true. And we just had Pete Hines leave Bethesda. And now we're seeing Matt Booty take on a bigger role overseeing ZeniMax, which just kind of expands this reach of Xbox and this, I don't want to say like, I don't want to put this, um, this kind of end of an era for what all ZeniMax and Bethesda and everything was before Microsoft bought them. And so we're starting to see this beginning of a time where Microsoft is going to probably have uh, more of a, a heavy guiding hand and more of a, you know, ownership in, in controlling kind of way of overseeing ZeniMax in Bethesda software. So that's pretty notable because I, I feel like at one point, if this keeps going and going like that, at one point you might as well just get rid of ZeniMax altogether and just have all the Bethesda teams and ZeniMax teams under the Xbox Game Studios umbrella and just have ZeniMax dissolve and and just have, you know, uh, Machine Games and Bethesda Game Studios and and it and all these just be Xbox Game Studios teams. Like, it's just, it's kind of what I was saying about Activision a few weeks ago. It's like, I, I understand for now, you kind of leave things the way they are and their silos and stuff, but eventually it's like, does it, I, I don't know enough about business to know why you would want to keep these things separate, but aside from like some way you could write, like, I don't know, silo these things and, and package them for, I don't, again, I don't know, for investment purposes or for potential sales purposes, like why, why you would want to keep these things siloed off. Like why wouldn't you eventually want a future where Blizzard and Treyarch and Bethesda Game Studios and the Coalition and 343 are all just Xbox Game Studios? Like why wouldn't you want Turn 10 in id Software to be the same as toys for Bob. Like why wouldn't we just have all these things be Xbox game studios? If at the end of the day, we're trying to sell Xbox game pass and Xbox series consoles, and we're trying to make Xbox the platform people engage with, whether it be on their phones or hopefully one day their playstations or their Xboxes or their PCs or whatever the hell it is. If we want Xbox to be at the forefront of all that, why are, Zenimax and Activision going to remain these independent silos that are owned by Xbox, but not named with and aligned more closely with 
Xbox. So I do just want to say that I think at the end of the day, that probably is the goal ultimately, and that this is kind of like the beginning of us seeing that. And even though this might be a long, drawn-out play that would take years to see it kind of fully realized, I feel like if if that is the thing that happens ultimately this is kind of the beginning of that with matt booty being promoted and i think it's kind of crazy that matt booty's been promoted because i feel like and we don't know the inner workings behind everything that's gone on at xbox but it just it does seem like matt booty's kind of been under fire from certain corners of the industry where it's like this guy's job is to kind of oversee all these teams and make sure that games are coming along he's supposed to be the one bouncing around team to team and be like Where's your game? How's it coming along? I'm in charge of the, the the heads of these studios and and the producers are making sure that like gaming projects are coming together and that games are being made and that deadlines are being met and that we're delivering on these projects. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Matt Booty's received a lot of criticism over the years where it's like he hasn't done that. You know, he's been the one at the helm of all these teams during all the years of Xbox has no games. Xbox has no games. So to see that he's now being promoted to an even bigger status and he's taking over ZeniMax in addition to his roles at Xbox Game Studios, it's like, man, the guy's being like, he's being rewarded at a time where it's like he still hasn't fully proven his, his stuff there in a way. And then on top of that, it's like, you just acquired Activision, man. And Activision are the crazy motherfuckers that have been able to make Call of Duty happen consistently every year. And honestly, what's so notable about Call of Duty this year is it's arguably the first year where Call of Duty's ever really not been in a position where I'm like, that's a full-fledged, full-priced sequel release game that you can put out. Like, this is the first time Call of Duty's ever not really been in that position. So the fact that they've, for almost 20 years, been able to m maintain this consistent release of annualized Call of Duty, it's like, you want to look at over at Activision, who you now own, look at that leadership and say, who do we need to poach from there and make them in charge of Xbox? Because, like, that's... Those are the guys that are going to make Xbox shine. Those are the guys that are going to get Hellblade out in under 47 years and get State of K3 out in under four decades and all these things. Like, th this is what you need. But instead, they promoted Matt Booty to a bigger role in a role that I assume will one day encompass Activision in addition to ZeniMax and Xbox Game Studios. And then on the other side of that, you got, um, you got Sarah Bond. So the way it's basically laid out is, Phil Spencer is the CEO of gaming. He's like in charge of all gaming efforts at Microsoft period, which is predominantly Xbox, but just anything gaming. He's the head honcho. He's the, he's like the CEO, but just for the gaming stuff on at, at Microsoft. And then under him are Matt Booty and Sarah Bond. Matt Booty does all the video game stuff. He's in charge of the teams, ZeniMax, Xbox game studios, probably one day Activision, but Sarah Bond is now the president of Xbox. So she's in charge of the vision for the brand and the hardware and the, in the, in the, in the roadmap for what they're trying to do. So this I think has to do a lot more with game pass and hardware and, and where they want to be and when they want to be there and all that stuff. So this stuff is actually a little more high concept. It's like you need Matt Booty and his team to be firing all cylinders and delivering the games so that Sarah Bond and her team can continue to execute on their vision and their idea and their goal for what Xbox will become. And then overseeing those two is Papa Phil with his wide open arms, kind of like that picture of Jesus with his with his arms wide open. And so I like the structure I just want to make sure we got the right people in place for it. Now, I this doesn't surprise me with Sarah Bond. I don't think she's done 
I feel like we don't really know a lot about Sarah Bond. I feel like she's just kind of a popular figurehead just because people like her arbitrarily. And that's fine. She seems likable, although she is an executive at a big corporation. So I don't know really how much you can like any of those people. But I mean, that's how I am with Phil, right? All the time. It's like, I like Phil Spencer, but he's an executive. So what do I know? But anyway, I, I get it. They, you can tell that there is a, a desire internally to shape Sarah Bond. She's clearly the protege. She's clearly the person that they want to succeed Phil Spencer when, when his time comes to be put out to pasture or whatever. So I think putting her in charge of this is very much that next step in like leading her towards the, the goal. Honestly, I wouldn't even be terribly surprised if we see Sarah Bond replace Phil Spencer in the next five years or so. Uh, but clearly that's what her, this next role for her is, is it's a step up and a step closer towards uh, the keys to the kingdom. So she is now our visionary for Xbox. Although not necessarily, I think Phil's probably still the visionary, but she is, she's the one executing and planning and spearheading the vision for the hardware for the services for the the five-year plan and all that stuff so she's she's working hand in hand with phil to make sure all that stuff happens and so this is these are big promotions and this is a big deal but the thing is i just hope i don't know i i guess i just worry about bigger promotions for these re xbox people more control and more leadership over um acquired parties like zenimax and such and it's just like i wonder what this does to the existing talent at these various teams i just don't want to see a mass exodus of all the people that matter at these various zenimax teams because of xbox continually taking over more and more and more because you know we just lost pete hines it's like i don't know you don't want to lose that guy <laughs> that that's a guy you don't want to lose and we don't want to see that happen over on on team xbox either like you don't want to lose rod ferguson or mikey Barr or someone like that now that you got blizzard you know you don't want to lose um, the heads over at Infinity Ward or Treyarch now that you got the Call of Duty guys. So it's just really important that you do the things right. And I feel like Xbox needs to be a little more open to taking the best talent from ZeniMax, taking the best talent from Activision and being like, how would you like a bigger, broader role at Xbox instead of the silo of Activision or the silo of Bethesda? But we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And then, of course, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about Alan Hartman. Um who is now basically replacing Mikey Barra's previous role. Again, this is the same thing I said before. It's like, you're not looking over at Activision and saying, who's the motherfucker making sure that Call of Duty comes out every November like clockwork? We need that guy in charge doing what Matt Booty used to do because we need that guy to be making sure that Ninja Theory delivers, that 343 delivers, that everyone everyone's game is getting out, that this perfect dark game actually makes it to market one day. Like we need we need that guy in charge. Not to say that it is necessarily one guy, but you need that kind of producer talent and leadership talent over at Xbox because that is what Xbox has lacked so sorely. But that being said, if they did have to pick an internal Xbox guy to take that job, it sounds like they got the right guy because if there's one xbox property that you can't argue always comes out like clockwork always great dev cycle always excellently produced fully finished fully polished beautiful full-fledged game kind of thing it's always the forza games right and alan hartman's kind of been you know he's a turn 10 guy but he's been kind of shepherding the forza franchise whether it's with playground or turn 10 being like this executive producer type role leading you know well i mean he's the he's the head but you know heads are usually some form of ultimate 
sayers and, and producers of, of the team. So you would assume that this is the guy who is largely responsible for making sure that these Forza games hit the market every, you know, every other year or whatever, like clockwork. And Forza Motorsport, this new one we just got, is the first Forza game pretty much out there that that took more than that standard two-year cycle or whatever um and, and that was because this game is more of a, a forza platform and less of just a new forza entry but i mean like if you're gonna have a guy come in and take this role internally at xbox you want the guy that's known best for delivering and even during xbox's driest years where no games no games no games during the xbox one generation we were always getting forza horizon 3 forza motorsport 6 Forza Horizon 4, Forza Motorsports, like that shit was always coming. Like the the the, the pipeline, that was their that was their call to do. That was their thing that they always managed to deliver on. So it sounds like they got the right guy in that regard, but this guy's also been in charge for Fable for the past few years and I wonder if he was put in charge of Fable a few years ago because of the development woes that Fable has been experiencing, but now that he's in a more broad role, I guess we get to see like what happens now when he goes over to to stay to K3 and says like, yo, what's going on over here? And he goes over to when he goes over to playground and is like, what's going on with Fable and, and all these things. And I want to see if he can deliver the goods. <laughs> it's it's hard to say because so many of the games that are in active development right now have been shepherded thus far under Matt Booty's leadership. But I don't know. I feel like it sounds like they got at least on paper a good guy for the job. Um, and we'll and we'll see if he continues to grow. He's he's out of this. He's out of an individual team now. Now he's kind of spearheading and, and, and leading, shepherding um, the teams as a whole. And that's a huge promotion for this guy. But man, I really hope time proves that they they got the right guy for the job because that is in order for Matt Booty to execute on his job, they need a good a good guy in this plan in this in this uh, in this position. In order for Sarah Bond to execute on her job. We need Matt Booty firing all cylinders. And in order for Phil Spencer to put all gamers at the center of the universe of the world, we need all these guys firing on all cylinders. So it's uh, interesting shakeups. I, I think a lot of people would probably be a little surprised at, at, at deciding to give Matt Booty just all that much more power and surprised that they didn't like poach this super talent from Activision to kind of take on these roles that Hartman received and that Matt Booty's been promoted to. And uh, I don't know. And just in that big takeaway for me is seeing Zenimax kind of come closer into the fold of Xbox is we're headed in the direction I, I thought they were going to go in. All right. Next story here. And I guess there's not too much to say about this, but I just thought it was pretty notable nonetheless. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Let's see if we can get anything out of this from windows central machine games is growing at, as it quietly continues working on its next big game. As shared by Nordic Outlet Gamer Reactor on Friday, Machine Games is expanding with new studios opening, with a new studio opening a, uh, as a satellite of its office in Sundsvall, Sweden. Uh, Gamer Reactor notes that the studio is expected to be fully staffed by 2025, though it's not clear what headcount the Swedish developer is aiming for with the second location. Quote, as a gaming developer, you are always on the lookout for new talent, said executive producer Jeff Gustaf Gustafsson. Jerk Gustafsson. Gustafsson. Okay, let's try again. Jerk Gustafsson. Nailed it. In a statement to Gamers Re Gamer Reactor, uh, opening a satellite office in northern Sweden gives us the opportunity to recruit from a larger crowd of experienced developers who are in the region and who may not have the opportunity to move to our head office in U. Upsala. 
Machine Games is primarily known for the Wolfenstein franchise release uh, with Wolfenstein The New Order, The New Colossus, and Youngblood in 2014, 2017, and 2019, respectively. Working with id Software closely on and Sister Studio to manage the property the proprietary id tech engine machine games has also crafted new campaigns for quake remastered and quake 2 remastered and it's currently working on the to be revealed but already announced uh you know to be shown uh, but already announced and revealed uh, indiana jones games so yeah i mean obviously this is the indiana jones project is probably ramping up and they're probably needing to work on a second game while they do indiana jones so i my guess is that that's what this is it's going to be like a, hey we're starting work on a new wolfenstein or on a new quake game or something like that and this new team can kind of do that or be support work on indiana jones while a second team at the main machine games can go and work on on a new project while the, the majority of the staff finishes up on, on Indiana Jones. And so that is my guess is what we're seeing here. But Machine Games is growing and expanding and adding a new team at a time where most teams are laying off and shrinking and downsizing. So I know games, like the games industry is a very, it's a very like trend, transitional industry. No one's ever at any place way too long. And so I guess when you're, you're knee deep in the middle of the development of a big game, yeah, there's money to go around. There's room for new talent. But a lot of the teams we're seeing with layoffs are kind of in-between projects or live service teams that are hitting lower numbers and things like that. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison, but it's just interesting to note that they're hiring and expanding and growing at a time when other teams are shedding uh, staff. So my, my assumption, they're ramping up to start early development on a second project as they get really fully underway with what they're doing on Indiana Jones. And we'll see that new indie game next year. All right, we only have one more story uh, this week to get into. And unfortunately, again, I don't make the news. Uh, it, it, it is another little bit of a sad one. Ubisoft is laying off, this is from VGC, laying off 124 employees, cutting 124 positions mainly in, in Canada. The French company announced, they say, quote, over the past few months, every team within Ubisoft has been exploring ways to streamline the operations and enhance our collective efficiency so that the statement so that we are better positioned for success and in long term, uh, said Ubisoft in the statement to VGC. In that context today, we announced that we are reorganizing our Canadian studios, general admission, administrative functions and reducing headcount at Highbridge, our VFX studio in Montreal. And we are also uh, also our global IT team, which impacts 124 positions overall. Kotaku added earlier uh, that the company was making layoffs at Assassin's Creed and Far Cry Studio, Ubisoft Montreal, with its largest in-house development team with some 4,000 employees as of 2021. These are not decisions that we take lightly, and we are providing comprehensive support to all of our colleagues who will be leaving Ubisoft during this transition, Ubisoft said in a statement. We also continue to share our utmost gratitude and respect for the many contributions uh, to the company as the restructuring does not affect our production team. In September, the company announced that they plan to close its Ubisoft London mobile team, which is best known for the Hungry Shark series, and a move that took 54 staff off the list. Ubisoft said in January that they wanted to take some 200 million euro in cost cuts over the next two years through targeted restructuring, divesting, and some non-core assets that uh, usual natural attrition and usual natural attrition. While adding that it will be, we will continue to look for hiring. 
talented people for its biggest brands and live services. In an update last month, the publisher said with the continued tight control of recruitments, as well as targeted restructuring, the total number of employees worldwide stood at 19,410 at the end of September 2023, compared to the 20,729 at the end of September 2022, so they had shed over 1,000 staff at that time. Job losses across the games industry have been widespread in this year. Companies interact, impacted by layoffs this year include Xbox Game Studios, Epic Games, Sony Interactive, CD Projekt Red, Unity, Riot Games, Blizzard, Crystal Dynamics, Bioware, Striking Distance, Team 17, Frontier Developments, and Telltale Games. That's right. Remember, a lot of this kicked off with Microsoft as a whole laying off 10,000 employees. That was, what, la late last year was that? Man, it's already been that long. Holy shit. No, that was like the beginning of this year or so. And it's only gotten worse and worse throughout the year with these teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard because it's like, what is there to say that hasn't already been said? We don't get the intricacies of the of the, of the the severance packages and things like that. So we don't know how well or not well Ubisoft is handling these layoffs like some of these other teams have kind of outlined. But nonetheless, same as always. Sad as fuck to see. Hopefully these people land on their feet and end someplace better. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just kind of hard to say where it's like we, we've talked about this every week. It feels like for the past few months. And it's just so weird. We got like this record breaking year. Amazing game after amazing game coming out one after another after another. And it's juxtaposed against this this constant news flow of, yeah, this team's got got layoffs and this publisher's laid off. And I think the, the industry is just in such a state of flux right now with things changing so much where it's just I think because times are tough you know quote unquote in terms of this like arbitrary uncertainty that is felt universally and with it being a bad time to borrow and invest money because interest rates are so high and just it's it's a it's, it's a time where everyone's saying watch the market things are about to get bad it's like this thing where companies are kind of playing it safe by saying like, hey, things are things are getting weird and we just got to play it safe. So we got to downsize so we're positioned well to weather any potential storm that may come our way. And it's shitty because no matter how many times you say it's all business or we're doing this for the good of the company or, hey, we lay off 124 people today so that we don't have to lay off the whole team tomorrow. I get it. It's business. You do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, it's never it's never not shitty to lay off 124 people. It's never not shitty that the story every day is like Fortnite just reached 8 trillion players and the, the new Call of Duty made a billion dollars despite being DLC and uh, Ubisoft's uh, new Far Cry game is, is is an Avatar game and it looks awesome. And then the news is, but all these people lost their job and all these people lost their job and these people don't have health care and these people got uh, lost their, their, vet, their vesting in the company because Bungie fucked them over. And it's like this story just keeps happening again and again and again. And it's like, Man, it's got. There's got to be a better way than this. And I know, generally speaking, the games industry is very transient. It is very like project to project. Most people don't just stay in one place for too long. You go from one team to another, one game to another. Um, but still, it's like people need security and comfort. And they need to know that, you know, when you when you have a job that you're going to be able to pay your rent or your mortgage, and that you're going to be able to feed your kids and, 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 and take care of yourself if a medical emergency or financial emergency were to were to come its way and burden you. And like this this way of doing things is not sustainable. <laughs> it's just weird to have record breaking year, best game, nine and a ten, uh, money out the ass, and then layoffs, 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 layoffs. And it's just 
I don't know. It just looks fucking weird, man. It's just a weird ass time we're in. I know next year is going to be different. I know a lot of what makes 2023 so special is here are all the games that were perpetually delayed during the pandemic. And here, are, you know, just a lot of good things are lining up and just happens to be one of those years. But I don't know when next year normalizes and stuff. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen when we have just like kind of a regular year again, where some good games, not all the best games in the world, but you know, good games, bad games, a decent flow kind of normal ass year. Not where every, every week there's going to be the next game of the year contender out. So I don't know. Are things just going to go worse (laughs) or is this like everyone preparing and then things won't end up being all that bad. And then we can kind of sustain and continue to grow again. I just, I just don't know. It also just seems like a lot of things are just shifting. Like the, all these, ta- like these legacy talent teams are all just going off and creating new studios too. So, I mean, I'm sure there are for all these layoffs, there are also new opportunities like crazy, but I mean, that doesn't really take off too much of the sting of you just lost your job. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say here. Another team, another layoff. And uh, unfortunately, next week, we're probably going to talk about this again. But that's it for all the big news this week. Hey, at least someone at Microsoft's getting promoted. And uh, shout out to Modern Warfare 3. It's uh, it's a travesty. I think that's what we talked about so far this week. But we can move on to the important enough news stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which I wanted to start off touching on BlizzCon a little bit. It happened this past week, although nothing was super substantial. I just wanted to touch on some, some things. So Phil Spencer appeared at BlizzCon to address fans and basically be like, hey, we own Activision Blizzard now, and I just want to say we love you. And so speaking during the opening ceremony, Spencer told the audience that Microsoft would empower Blizzard and continue to make the kinds of experiences that its reputation was built on. He talks about Xbox being a a team that's there to help nurture and, and help Blizzard grow and be better, and that they want colleagues and the culture to change and things to feel more inclusive and collaborative and everything like that. You know, just kind of hitting all the points. Like, we recognize Blizzard's amazing. We want Blizzard to be like it was in its heyday. And we also want to make it a more inclusive and welcoming place for, you know, women to work at and stuff like that. So uh, he just says the things and he's there and he's kind of like a face for Blizzard. So that was cool. Um, It it does feel like the beginning of an exciting era. So I'm really excited to see what happens. I, I like Blizzard. Blizzard's a team I have a lot of respect for. I understand why they have. The, the high quality reputation they have, but I just feel like it's been a while since they've really wowed and I'm a, uh, you know, no pun intended. And I'm really excited to see them deliver something special. I mean, although I know a lot of people would say Diablo four, but shut up. Okay. Continuing on with BlizzCon. I also want to bring up uh blizzard has said that it is considering bringing its seminal MMO, the world of Warcraft to consoles all the time. They're thinking about it. Speaking of games radar at BlizzCon 2023, um, Holly Longdale, the vice president and executive producer of World of Warcraft, said that they talk about the prospect all the time. It's a complicated question, Longdale said. For a console audience, the approachability is likely going to be different. While in the past, MMOs of World of Warcraft size were more at home on PC due to the computing power, some of the largest MMOs today are extremely popular on consoles, such as Final Fantasy XIV. She said, right now we're focused on World Soul Saga, but if that comes up, then we'll re-examine then. I'll, I'll just say it right now. If you can get World of Warcraft, not only to just not only just get it on Xbox, but to make it like control and operate in a way that makes sense for Xbox. I will go back to playing World of Warcraft for the first time since I was like nine years old. I will genuinely give World of Warcraft a good old college effort. Like I would 
I would be genuinely open to that. I feel like that could be cool. And it's kind of silly that it hasn't happened, but I, I kind of hope this does get pushed onto them a little bit. Um, normally, I, I'm all for team, like, let let the let the developers do what they want to do. But it's like, I don't know, man. It is a good point. It's like, you got all these freaking MiHoYo um, iPhone games and shit that are glorified MMOs and all that. It's like, you tell me we really can't figure out a way to get World of Warcraft on console, but, like, every other MMORPG can be on mobile devices it's like come on there's there's got to be a way to make this work um so it is interesting but continuing on with blizzcon they also announced diablo uh 4's first expansion the vessel of hatred announced during blizzcon an opening ceremony the expansion is set to release late 2024 so by the time it comes out it'll be like a year and a half after the game's launch um also at blizzcon uh world of warcraft got some new expansion announcements as well as a confirmation that Cataclysm will come to World of Warcraft Classic. Cataclysm being um, the old, uh, the old. What is Cataclysm? It's the old. Uh, was that the third or the fourth expansion? I think Cataclysm is the one that came out in 2010. I think that was the last. It's the fiery red one, right? I think that was the last World of Warcraft expansion I ever played. I, I was never really into World of Warcraft. I dabbled in it here and there, but I think Cataclysm was the last time. I remember, like, in freshman year of high school, we played God. So that expansion that came out my freshman year of high school is now old enough to be included in World of Warcraft Classic. I kind of want to go back and play WoW. I can't believe it. I actually have a little bit of an itch. Let's let's move on before I download World of Warcraft. Okay. Uh, uh, let's talk about this. I didn't have anything to say about this, although it's probably a bigger story than we're giving it credit for. But from Windows Central... Uh, newfound, a newfound partnership between Microsoft and in-world AI has been announced. And this is at a Microsoft level, not just an Xbox level, but obviously affects Xbox. The multi-year code development partnership will bring new tools to Xbox, including AI design copilot and an AI character runtime engine that will assist developers in creating AI-powered character stories and quests. As for the AI character run time engine it is designed to enable entirely new narratives with dynamic generated stories quests and dialogue yeah so this is get get ready ai is about to get injected even further into game development get ready boy uh next up vgc relays that embracer group's chief operating officer has confirmed his departure from the company Egil strunke has shared the news earlier in the week and claimed that uh he left the holding company which is which owns many game developers such as Gearbox, Crystal Dynamics, etc. In June, Embracer announced that the appointed the appointment of an interim COO would be filled by Saber Interactive boss Matthew Kark. Uh, and the COO is typically the second in command, reporting to the CEO and handles daily business operations of the company. So pretty big figure to lose. And finally, VGC relays. Fortnite enjoyed its biggest 24-hour period in the history over the weekend with Fortnite OG's event, bringing back the original Fortnite map. According to the tweet posted by the, the, the game's Twitter account, um, it says that it reached record player count with uh, over 44.7 million players jumping in and 102 million hours of playtime. So, yeah. But, you know, layoffs at Epic. So, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it hit all-time peak concurrent player base during the period of 6.172 million people. Crazy. That's almost as many people that are listening to this podcast right now. So they're they're getting up there. They're doing okay. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now it's time to round out the podcast with our final segment, the best segment, the comments, the shout-outs from you guys. Go on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and drop a comment. You can say anything nice, anything mean, or anything in between. 
Jesse, cookies from Disney are for babies. And when you eat cookies from Disney, I can't take you seriously. So I'm going to go listen to my favorite podcast over at IGN because your podcast is dumb and for babies. And I'll say, okay. Let's talk about Alan Wake 2. A couple people wrote in about that. Starting off with none other than the OG Dead Captain James who says, I'm just going to say it before I even listen. Alan Wake 2 is game of the year for me. Maybe game of the generation. It's an instant masterpiece. Yeah, Dead Captain James, the more I've sat with it over the past week since I recorded last week, that's kind of how I felt is, I don't, I wouldn't say Game of the Generation masterpiece, I, or it, masterpiece is fine. I wouldn't say Game of the Generation, That's I, I can't make that decision for myself yet, but I'm in agreement with you that it is definitely Game of the Year. It's definitely Game of the Year. I love Starfield so much, but in terms of like what Alan Wake does for gaming and the impact that the game had on me with its like highest highs and all that, it's like... Alan Wake, Alan Wake 2 is, if I could make everyone in the world play one game that came out this year, Alan Wake 2. Please, for the love of God. But I'm really glad you're loving it, Dead Captain James. Keep on rocking on. And Cronky writes in and says, Alan Wake 2 is really amazing. It's definitely my game of the year, and that's crazy because I was going to say Starfield is one of those generation-defining games, but so is Alan Wake 2. So, wow, what a year. Yeah, yeah, and that's the best way to put it is regardless of which one's better, than it's completely arbitrary. The important thing is Alan Wake 2 and Starfield back-to-back, one in September, one in October. Incredible. Just fucking incredible. So, 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 so good. So, yes. In agreement. Glad to see people are loving it. And then Mike Clark even writes in about Alan Wake and says, this is the best Pride Month podcast on the web. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying Pride Month. Se- uh, what, what, what is Pride Month? In June? So we're on Pride Month 4 or something? I don't know. How does math work? You said, I finished Alan Wake Remastered, and it was enjoyable. Remedy has a very unique way of storytelling, and that is probably their strong suit. Unfortunately, it won't be getting Part 2 anytime soon. Not because I don't want it, but because, or because I'm not digging it. But it's because, I, or because it, it is because I am not digging the digital-only vibe. And the guy has to draw a line somewhere. Thanks, but no thanks, Remedy. As always, love the show, and drink a cold one for me. In your new house. Yes, sir. Will do. Thank you very much, Mike Clark. Might I recommend, listen, teach their own respect. Wait for them to do some kind of physical release at Alan Wake 2. Do what you got to do. But might I recommend in the meantime, play. you, you should play Control because it's in the Alan Wake universe, but I'm not going to recommend that. I'm going to recommend play Quantum Break if you haven't. If this is, if Alan Wake Remaster was your first Remedy game, play Quantum Break. Best. It's, it's still my personal favorite Remedy game, although Alan Wake 2 is definitely a better game. In a more impactful game. But play Quantum Break. It's really good shit. And you can buy it physical. And Lance Reddick is in the game. May he rest in peace. And he holds a Microsoft Surface tablet in a lot of the cutscenes. That's all I'll say. All right. Let's get on to other comments. Fun, miscellaneous, and goofy comments and other questions and comments and comments and comments. Arctic Chief writes in and says, Crazy to see things happening over there at Bungie. Don't really have much else to say about it other than that it sucks, and I hope the best for those affected. I had my friends... I had a friend in high school play the first Alan Wake game, but never got around to it myself. But I've heard so many good things about this one. Bro, you you gotta play Alan Wake 2. Go play Alan Wake 2. At the very least, if you're not even gonna play Alan Wake 1, that's fine. Go watch a video detailing everything that happens in Alan Wake 1, although I would recommend you play it if you can. And then play Alan Wake 2. And then enjoy the bliss and the love. And tell Bungie you hate them. Because we, you said that too. And I want to mention that. But also just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy Alan Wake. You said, I've been trying to get back fully into Halo Infinite lately. And slowly playing Spider-Man 2018 for the first time. I've been big Marvel mood lately. 
how are you enjoying your gamer fuel? I went to four stores around me, and not a single one had either game fuel. Well, hold in there, Arctic Chief. I think that you're probably going to see it in stock in the next week or two. But yeah, man, I'm sorry. It's it fucking sucks. The game of like, by the time I'm finally like, by the time I finally find it, will it be too late. Will it be like all sold out, or only one of the two flavors of? I I get it. So I'm sorry, man. I hope you find it. But to get to your other points, Halo Infinite. What do you mean I'm trying to get fully back into Halo Infinite? Just just play Halo Infinite. It's beautiful. It's good. Although I was I was sad that they already took away the 24 hour playlist for the 24 seven playlist for the new maps. Because I really love those new maps. And going back and playing more Halo Infinite this weekend, um, I was reminded that a lot of my problem with Halo Infinite is that I just really don't like a lot of the maps in this game. I feel like my problem with Halo Infinite is, like, I love the game. I just don't love the maps. And so, like, I just... ah, I need more map variety in this game. Uh, In Spider-Man 2018, what a phenomenal game. First time playing it? Oh, man. What a treat you're in for. Please make sure you play Miles Morales. And I'm sure you're probably... On your way to playing Spider-Man 2, which I'm super jelly about. But uh, let me know how it is if you decide to play it. And God bless you. I hope you find your game fuel. And let me know if you do. Because I I need to know that you're fueled, my gamer boy. My mom writes in and says, OMG, about last week, it wasn't about Vigo Mortensen, even though he was very handsome in that movie. It was about the story. Lord of the Rings is about Middle Earth. It was about the magic and the fight between good and evil. It was about the sacrifice of the greater good and doing the right thing, even if you weren't going to get benefits from it. You know, Frodo it taught me life lessons I wanted my children to have. So there. Now go outside and get some fresh air. I'm going to say one thing about Lord of the Rings. I'm going to say one thing. As, as someone who majored in literature in college, I only got one thing to say about Lord of the Rings and J.R.L. Tay Token. Lord of the Rings is a gay. Mr. Malg writes in and says, Jesse, we forgot to ask you, now that you're moving, are you closer or further away to Disney World now? Oh, my God. Why you have to bring it up, man? Yes, technically and unfortunately, the answer to that is I am I am further away from Disney World than I currently am. Although, it's really it's it's really not that bad. Like, where, where I am right now in my apartment, I, I live, like, a minute and a half from the highway. And then you, you pop on that highway... You go up for like, like two exits, like a couple miles. You take that highway exit, boom, you're on Disney property. Like it takes me right now, with with no traffic, like literally no traffic. I can be from my apartment on Disney property in 15 minutes right now from my apartment. Now, keep in mind it's Florida, where 98% of the population drives a Toyota Corolla for some godforsaken reason, and they all go one third of the speed limit. And they all speed match each other. So if someone's going slow, you can't get over in the other lane and pass them. And also everyone's fucking stupid and will drive with their hazard lights on and just park in the middle of the road and just start like flailing out the fucking car like an idiot. So keep in mind, if there were no cars on the road, I could get from my apartment to Disney World 15 minutes. Because there are cars on the road and these cars are inept, way more inept than the cars were back home in Georgia. It usually takes me about 20 minutes to get to Disney World maybe 25 if it's really bad. Sometimes people like to just stop on the highway here for no reason. There's no accident. There's no cop. There's nothing happening. People just stop. They listen to We Will Rock You by Queen twice. And then they turn off their radio and continue driving. And then we all, that, that's it. So yeah, usually it takes me about like 20 or so minutes to be on Disney property. But from where I am, I mean like I'm saying on Disney property, like you're barely, you know, you're on Disney property. Now you got to drive five to ten minutes anywhere on Disney property to get somewhere. To me, I just want to live 
near Disney property. I don't care if I live close to Magic Kingdom or Disney Springs or Hollywood Studios or Animal Kingdom or, God forbid, my precious Epcot. I don't care. I just want to live really close to Disney World. I don't care what direction it's in. So my new house is kind of close to my apartment, but it's like a few more miles down the road. But, like, you got to take some back roads to get there. So I, I don't live as close to the highway now. I timed it. I mapped it out. Uh, it says on average I should be able to get to Disney World from my house in about 23 minutes on average. Calculating shitty Florida drivers, I'm going to say on average about 30 minutes to get there. But the other day we went to the house. We went to check up on it on Saturday. We drove to it. We looked at it. We snuck inside the back and went into the house even though we weren't supposed to. Shh. And then we went from there to go to Disney Springs to, to see a movie. And so, technically, we left from the house and drove to Disney World from our new house. And when I timed it, I asked my girlfriend to timestamp when we left so I could see how long it took. It felt like it took 25, 30 minutes. It took us 22 minutes, technically. I guess traffic wasn't that bad. Or we took a, we took a back road that my GPS doesn't tell. Long story short, this you asked me a very simple answer, and I'm making it very long and roundabout for no reason. It took me 22 minutes to get to Disney property the one time I tried it. But Google Maps says on average it will be about 27 minutes, 25 to 27 minutes. So I'm just going to say 25 to 30 minutes to be safe. But we did technically achieve 22 minutes from my new house to Disney World. So a little a little further away than I wanted it to be. Originally, we were going to buy a house with a different builder in a different community that was closer to like the Animal Kingdom side of Disney property. And if that worked out, we would have because they're building a road that like basically just connects to Disney. We would have lived like eight minutes from Disney world, which would have been just fucking amazing. Imagine, imagine if you could do all your grocery shopping at Disney world. Um, but no, that didn't end up working out. So we're not terribly far, about 25 minutes away, but, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live. I, I always tell my girlfriend, like, worst case scenario. I never want to live more than 30 minutes from, from a Disney theme park, but I can live with that. I can live with that. At the end of the day, I get to say, I own property less than 30 minutes away from a Disney theme park. That That's all I need. That's good. I can live with that. And in that property, I wear no pants and I play Halo and I drink Mountain Dew and I have a cat and she is cute and fluffy. So it all works out. Mr. Malk, have a great week. And also, I hope, I hope you open your mailbox to see if you have mail and you just find a fucking bar of gold, like a fat fucking bar of gold that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I was supposed to get a bar of gold in the mail and then you get it and then you, you take it to cash for gold, gold for cash, cash for gold and you get paid. And that's what I hope happens to you this week. Our final comment comes from Jay Comatose 4592. The, the numbers are important. Remember that. Who writes in and says, never thought I'd see the day where Bungie is more hated than Activision or EA, but here we are. Well, this time they deserved it. Uh, I haven't commented in a while, but this podcast is part of my weekly routine. Rotation. You said rotation. I said routine. I can't read. I'm a UPS delivery driver, and I listen to sports and video game podcasts. Yours is always on Thursdays. Thank you. Surprisingly, I, ha I hate to admit this, but Applebee's is underrated when it comes to boneless chicken wings. You once said that it's hard to find a good orange soda, but let me introduce you to Orange Sunkist. I've been drinking this a, a metric crap ton of it lately. Or did you say grape soda? Anyways, grape sunkiss is also excellent. All right, Jay Comatose. First of all, thank you for writing. And second of all, 
appreciate the support. I love that. I, I love hearing stories like that because I, I feel like that's my life too, as I'm constantly commuting. I'm, I'm commuting. I'm, I'm in vehicles a minimum of 10 hours a week, which I know compared to you is probably not as much, but I spent a lot of time in vehicles. I spent a lot of time commuting. I spent a lot of time in vehicles at my job and I, I, I I'm involved with vehicles. My, 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 my job is, is, is vehicle adjacent. So I know the feeling and I'm always looking for podcasts to entertain me while I'm on the road. And so I always appreciate these kinds of comments so much because it makes me, it really warms my heart when someone's like, Hey, I listen to your podcast when I'm at work or when I'm driving and stuff like that. I'm like, Hey, that's what I, I listen to all my favorite podcasts. When I, well, not to say you didn't say this was your favorite podcast, but I listen to all my podcasts, you know, the podcasts I enjoy listening to when I'm driving to and from work, when I'm at work and I got to be in a vehicle and all these things. So I always appreciate it because it's, um, it's exciting. It's fun for me. Uh, to, to see people enjoy or use the show the same way I, I, I listen to all my podcasts. So it's cool. Thank you for that. But straight straight, straight to the important, the, the, the important and poignant things you have to say here. We're talking about Applebee's chicken wings. Here's the thing. I shat on Applebee's the last time we talked about it, but there was a time right before that where I went to Applebee's because they had the $13 all-you-can-eat boneless chicken wings. And if you remember that week, I talked about that. And my, my takeaway was, the wings were pretty good. They're not amazing, but they were pretty good. And I had a good time and I thought it was good value and I liked Applebee's. And then when I went back the other week with my buddy, the takeaway was everything sucked. Different Applebee's, different food items, different experience. Maybe it's not always the same. You know, consistency is a thing with these chain restaurants. So I'm not saying Applebee's has bad boneless chicken wings. In fact, when I had them that one time, I thought they were pretty solid. Now, if money ain't a thing and we're just talking about chain restaurants that specialize in chicken wings, I'm going to take Buffalo Wild Wing over Applebee's any day of the week. But that being said, I understand Applebee's. There's a time and place. They're open late. They're relatively affordable, although I thought last time I went there that they were pretty expensive for what they were. I'm just going to say any of these chain restaurants around this price point range appealing to a similar market, I'm going to take Buffalo Wild Wing over Applebee's. But that's just because I they, they have Pepsi products. Oh, wait, no. They have Pepsi products at Applebee's, too. Oh, that hurts. I'm conflicted. Let's move on. That scares me. Um, as for, yeah, I don't I don't know what you're talking about with the, with the orange soda thing. I, I definitely hate grape soda. I've always said that I fucking hate grape soda. Um, and that the only grape soda I like is the Mountain Dew Pitch Black because it's it's different than the other grape sodas. But I also don't like orange soda. I don't. I don't. I've had Sunkiss before. And with all due respect, I just don't like fruit flavored sodas. Like I don't want my soda to try and taste like nature's candy. You know, I want like if I if I wanted my soda to taste like oranges, I would just drink orange juice. If I want if I want grape anything, I would eat actual grapes or I would drink wine and I would drink wine while I drive because I don't care. I'm reckless and I'm just joking about that. But I don't know. Like I, when I think about soda, like fruit flavored sodas are at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the list. And I know it's like, but Jesse, Mountain Dew is, shut up. Mountain Dew might say Dew with a surge of cherry. You know, Code Red is just cherry Mountain Dew. And, and uh, oh, the new one is Mango Mountain. No, it's all bullshit. No Mountain Dew flavor tastes like fruit. It tastes like Mountain Dew. It's like the whole McDonald's thing about, like, a McDonald's hamburger is not a hamburger. It is a McDonald's hamburger. It's an authentic, unique taste. Mountain Dew, they call it a citrus soda, but nothing about any Mountain Dew flavor ever 
has tasted like fruit. It just tastes like Mountain Dew. So I love Mountain Dew for that reason. It is its own authentic flavor. I love colas. I love dark sodas. I love like Dr. Pepper or Pepsi. Like those so like if if Mountain Dew is not on the table, we're not talking about Mountain Dew. Anything that is dark is a good soda. Root beer, birch beer, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, Coke if you don't have Pepsi. Any of these things, vastly superior over fruit soda any day. No disrespect, but it's just like I I just it doesn't do it for me. I just can't I can't get into fruit sodas. I don't know why. But uh let's see, what is Sunkist is Pepsi, right? Or Sunkist 7 Up. Cause Fanta is Coke. Who is Sunkist? Sunkist is now I gotta look this up, man. I got me I got me thinking. This is what I do when I'm alone at night, when I'm laying in bed at night. You know the meme where it's like he's a... Uh, <laughs> It's the the man, the woman laying in bed, and the woman's like he's probably thinking of other women. The guy's rolled over. It's kind of like an older meme. That's me. I'm like I'm just thinking about like if Fanta is owned by Coke, does Pepsi own Sunkist? Okay, that's that's right. All right, here it is. That's right. Crush. Pepsi has Crush. I knew that. Why did I? I forgot that. Yeah. So okay, I was right. Sunkist is part of the Dr Pepper Keurig family uh, beverage company. Uh, I hate that they're called Keurig Dr Pepper now. It's so annoying. Um, and, uh, yeah, Coke has Fanta, which I got, and then Pepsi's Crush. I knew that. I think, if I remember correctly, I think I liked Crush the most out of all those, but, you know, whatever. That's, like, I I, I dislike them all. Like, I I would go for none of them, to be completely honest and and fair and transparent with you. My favorite, like, straight-up fruit-flavored soda that I can think of, I actually, like, what's that, um... What's that one Coke drink? I think they actually just got rid of it. I don't think they have any more Fresca, that zero sugar grapefruit soda. I weirdly like Fresca. Fresca's not bad. And then um, Sierra Mist from Pepsi. Sierra Mist, which is then changed to Mist Twist, which is now called Starry. That's okay. I like that all right, I, which is weird because I hate Sprite. But there's one time where I like Sprite. If it's Sprite Cranberry, like the one they do around the holidays, Sprite Cranberry is okay. But Sprite Tropical Remix is also okay. I like Sprite Tropical Remix. I go right at McDonald's or whatever. So that's kind of not true, but I hate regular Sprite. W- Listen, the whole world of soda, we can go on and on forever and ever. But at the end of the day, all there is to know is that when it comes to soda, your first choice should always be a Mountain Dew. If you're not feeling like Dew, that's okay. Go for a nice Pepsi. If you're not feeling like Pepsi, go for a Dr. Pepper. If you're not feeling like Dr. Pepper, go for a root beer. If you're not feeling like root beer, why don't you just drink water, okay? That's that's my old saying. Um, of course, if you're in a place that sells alcoholic beverages, I think you should just drink copious amounts of vodka and then and then call an Uber and uh, have it take you to your your ex lover's house and then blame it on alcohol. And that's and that's that's my final bit of advice for you guys. That's gonna do it for this week's Xbox On episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for being here. As always, I appreciate you all so much for listening. Let me know what your thoughts are about the latest games you've been playing, the news happening this week. Head on over to YouTube.com. Click on subscribe. Comment on the latest episode. If you're listening through a podcast service, please, for the love of God, leave a five-star review and nothing less. If you feel any inclination to do four and a half stars or lower or anything like that, just just save yourself the trouble. Don't even leave a review. There, I'm say, I'm doing you a favor by not making you leave a review. But if you do want to leave a five-star review and talk about how amazing I am, then go ahead and do that. Tell them how I'm so much better than all the big Xbox podcasts that have more than five subscribers. And uh, until then... Have a great week. Be well. Take care. Be safe. Eat delicious food. Play some video games. Spend time with people you love. Spend time with kitty cats and doggies you love. And until next week, power your dreams.